Are right, you guys ready to do this shit? <laughs> ready. <laughs> All right. Good day and welcome to the Climate Change Therapy Podcast, a product of BlockRadius.net, your most trusted online media outlet for urban planning and unrelated topics. I'm your host, Hank Felsman. Today is Tuesday, December 22nd, 2020. Thank you for tuning in. It's now been about nine months since we had our coronavirus emergency podcast on March 18th, 2020, a week after the NBA shut down, day three of my office being closed. Today, my office is still closed. The number of daily new cases has gone up from about 2,000 back on March 18th to 200,000 new cases daily during this third wave and highest wave to date. Again, that's 200,000 new cases. The overall cumulative number of cases is much higher, around 18 million today compared with 10,000 total cases back in March on the 18th. But the point is, it's been a crazy year. COVID has dominated much of it. It's hijacked the theme of this podcast, climate change, which has seemed like such a distant problem at times this year when we can't even go see our folks indoors during the holidays, let alone worry about what Coney Island is going to look like in 2045 if it's not underwater. But on the bright side of the moon, 2021 is right around the corner. It's a new day. The sun also rises. The vaccine is coming to deliver us all from the damnation of quarantine to the gates of heaven that is your grandma's indoor kitchen which has had its loneliest year to date. And I can think of no better guests to reflect upon this memorable year than our emergency podcast panelists from March 18th, 2020 themselves, my city planning friends, Lars Michelson, Robert Ball, pseudonym fix, and introducing for the first time on climate change therapy, Jean Londis. But first, we've got to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Rollin' Cases of Mozarakin, suitcases on wheels, Rollin' Cases, whether you're defying CDC guidance this holiday season, traveling anywhere, or just want to give something special to your special someone, and it's too heavy to carry to your lover in a traditional suitcase, rolling cases are the suitcases on wheels for you and your life's journey. Rolling cases. And now, ladies, gentlemen, listeners, old and new, I bring you the 2020 Year in Review Roundtable, Lars Michelson, Robert Ball, Pseudonym Fix, and Jean Londis. Good to be here. Thank you for having us. It's good to have you guys back on the show. Last time we were all together was March 18th, 2029 nine months ago. A lot's happened. A lot happened before then, actually, as we'll mm. soon see. But, um, I want to give you guys a chance just to introduce yourselves for our listeners. Uh, let's go around uh, the the horn real quick. Uh, Lars, I'll start with you. Uh, uh, who, who are you? Uh, my name is Lars. I live in Philadelphia. <laughs> yeah, and I work in real estate. Does that define you? No, I'm a potential uh, puppy father. I got one on the way. I um, congratulations. Thank you. Uh, oh I've this uh, quarantine vacation. I've picked up running, trying to uh, lose a couple pounds. So I'm doing okay with that. That's been exciting. And uh, I am 
anxiously waiting until I can uh, go see things that aren't Philadelphia. Yay. Lars Michelson, everyone. Robert Ball, how about you? Who are you? Hello, everyone. My name is Robert Ball. Um, I, what do I do? Um, I graduated, uh, you know, this year. Very exciting. Um, my, uh, my city planning chummies. Um, what else? I'm talking to you guys from Winnetka, Illinois. I did drive back. Um, but I'm a recent New Yorker, I guess. Yeah. Uh, what else? I've lived in three different states this year. No, four different states this year. So, uh, yeah. If anybody has any questions about, you know, what it's like to live out of your car for a little bit, uh, direct them to, to me. I can uh, help answer those. But happy to be here. Robert is the city planner amongst us who's also an architect. <laughs> for, Thank you. For what it's worth. I think it's... What what is it? What is it worth? Is it worth about negative two hundred thousand dollars in student loans? Ooh, we'll that... see. Oh, or it could or it could be nothing. You know who knows. Right. Uh, pseudonym fix. Fingers crossed. AOC. Hey there, Hank. Thanks for having me. Um, name pseudonym fix. It's a family name, actually. Short for it's a nickname for sumulonimbus uh, fix. But um, yeah, I um. I'm uh, hanging out here in New York. I think the last time I was talking to you, I was living in my parents' basement. And now um, they've evicted me, like everyone else I've ever lived with long-term. So um, yeah, I'm just hanging out here for the time being in a hovel in Chinatown. And um excited oh, to be here. A big fan of cities. I live in one. Um, I, yeah, that, that's my extent of my experience there. We're excited to have you back, pseudonym. Jean Landis, who are you? I am a urban planner and urban designer who practices pretty strongly and increasingly strongly with an equity lens, as everyone wants me to say now. Um, I am also a New Yorker, originally from Los Angeles. Uh, um, always will be a Cali boy though. Uh, can't stand this humidity or snow, but I like the snow. Anyways, um, Laker fan, go Lakers. Um, world football fan, go Manchester United. Um, love cities also. Um, yeah, it's been a hell of a year in terms of COVID, in terms of the ever-increasing uh, racism that bubbles to the surface. Uh, but at least we're going to get $600 uh, in a couple weeks. <laughs> oh, yeah. Add that. Can you add that segment? What's everybody going to do with your $600? Very excited to hear. I'm jumping ahead, but I'm happy to tell you what I'm going to get with it. Okay. Do you want to do that at the end or, or do that now? Let's save it for the end. That'll be the reward yeah. our listeners will get because we've waited a whole year to get $600. So we'll have to wait a whole uh, show to, to hear about what we're going to do with it. So between the five of us, uh, me and, and our five guests here, we uh, two of us are in Philly. Three are in New York. Well, two, are, two are in New York right now. Uh, one, Robert, you're in Illinois, outside Chicago. 
Um, Correct. But we represent uh, everywhere in the country, really. We got uh, New England, New Hampshire. We got Chicago. We got New Jersey. We got Alabama. We got California. So we, yeah, we, uh, we're, this is America right here. This is Con- what continental, like. continental US. <laughs> continental, right. <laughs> we need, yeah, we should get an Alaskan on. Excellent. Our Alaskan Hawaiian brothers and sisters. Um, should we start with January or should we start with February? That's a trick question. Let's start with January of 2020. And this is, it's amazing what's happened this year. When I kind of, I did a little homework yesterday, uh, putting it together. Uh, but I'm, and I, and I sent it around to you guys, a couple of my ideas, but w- what do you remember about January, 2020? Um, some of the big, big stories, uh, Obviously, there's the Australian bushfires. There was the drone strike on Soleimani, uh, the Trump impeachment po- tri- trial. Uh, Kobe Bryant and, uh, and his uh, daughter Gianna uh, dying in the helicopter crash. Um, so, I mean, what, let's just let's start with. Uh, I mean, do, do one of you guys want to raise your hand? I've never uh, done a roundtable this big before, um, but who wants to just to start off on on 2020? for January. Well, Sean, I know you were a big fan of Kobe. Um, it uh, honestly should have cued us off that this would be a pretty crummy year when you start off the first month with that and you think that things can't get worse. And that was just the appetizer. <laughs> uh, yeah, I like, I mean, the bushfires, <laughs> just like imagining all the wildlife and biodiversity that is like endemic to or like indigenous to whatever to Australia, like burning in the, uh, the, the thought of koalas. And that like uh, there was that story of uh, a woman selling like nudes to raise money for the wildfire effort, who which one that like, you know, people have to raise money to fight like you know existential crisis of like a planet on fire but um then ultimately being like shunned from her family and like local society because of that was just kind of a (laughs) i don't know uh i want to say precursor to like the covid only fans boom and wasn't the first time uh, this year right um, and then, then we get to the California fires layer, but, um, no, yeah, January was tough for me. I mean, uh, um, that aside, which is kind of like some of those things you can put to the back of your mind. It's like, well, we're not in Australia. Right. Like, it's like, Oh, that's wild. Oh my gosh. But like on Martin Luther King day, my dog of 16 years died. <laughs> and then a week, which I, which I was struggling to keep, to get myself together at work. And then when my mom's in town, and uh, my girlfriend and I are at, at lunch with her at Joe's Shanghai in Chinatown. One of her coworkers who's on this trip with her goes, uh, shows her a TMZ tweet and she goes, oh my God, Kobe died. And my, my initial reaction was like, why are you saying that? Like, don't say that. Like, and immediately like I go on my phone, I'm like scrolling like my Twitter, like trying to see like just get the updates and all I start seeing is like people like famous people that I follow are just like oh no oh my god like please tell me this is not real and with every refresh 
more and more like confirmation. Um, turns out my sister w- drove by like right as the crash happened because she was going to brunch with her, uh, with my nephew and then her husband and friends um, near where the crash took place. And so it's just like all these things converging. Um, it was hard. January, I mean, <laughs> like Jesus Christ, like January was, talk about a, a warning sign for what's to come. It was a, it was a tough, tough month. Yeah. I found out about Kobe dying. Actually, Robert, Robert Ball uh, texted me and I, th- I thought he was trolling yeah. as, as Robert is wont to do. Um, At this time. Yeah, it was real. And I mean, it, the, I, the reaction was, you know, it was everybody knew who, who Kobe was. It was, uh, the you know the definition of more more than an athlete he might have been the most famous american or he's up the, up there in that tier one he's uh you know what is a grade a plus celebrity uh you know it's like oh it's kobe lebron <laughs> barack obama uh you know uh, taylor swift uh, hmm. there's not a, there's not a lot of a lot of people in that category I think it was wow. like the the Soleimani the Soleimani strike and the you know the Kobe Gianna tragedy was they they felt very different. Like we can say that like the the Soleimani strike was like I think it was like the first or second like day of the new year, and uh, you know Twitter Reddit like was like oh oh like twenty twenty like we're starting the year with like World War three. <laughs> and I'm not going to say, like, you know, it was off, obviously awful and, like, loss of life is catastrophic, but, like, there were some, like, it's, like, how ridiculous, like, 2020 is already starting off that we're starting World War Three like, two days into it that was, like, kind of fun to, like, like play along with, I'll say. And, and Like, there was remember. a general, like, this is ridiculous. Like, like why, like, what, what the hell is going on? Like, this isn't real. Let's, you know, I don't know, like, poke fun at reality which we all needed like right now before we get drafted. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, it's like, let's, you know, it's like, it's like, who's ready for the draft. I played Fortnite like for two weeks straight. Like, well, let's remember that the context of the Soleimani murder um, was, it, this was during the impeachment trial of Trump. Yeah. He had just gotten impeached by the house. They were deciding on the rules for the Senate trial. Um, they were trying to negotiate having witnesses John Bolton's book was coming out. There's people that thought you know, you know, Trump was on, he was on thin ice. He had been caught. He would, there was a recording and he, he was only the third president ever to be in, impeached in the house. Yeah. And meanwhile, he goes and assassinates the second most powerful person in Iran. I th- like long, long arm of, well, it's like long arm of history. I think the impeachment will be very important. But in like the totality of like everything that happened this year, I think the impeachment is like, like very near the bottom. Like it's like I remember like two Taylor Swift albums like coming out before I remember that like Donald Trump was impeached because it's just like impeachment is so like partisan and just like yeah. kind of doesn't like have the same gravity that it like it should. Um, it's funny when you said you know the impeachment was in January. I had to think. I was like, was it really? Because I feel like it's been going on for four years. And so yeah. I honestly couldn't place that as the current event that had happened in 2020, it, which is crazy because it, again, monumental, only three presidents yeah. have been impeached, but yeah, um, it just seems, I don't know. 
it, it's hard to <laughs> that's a saga much longer than 2020 itself so yeah, yeah. it's also it's like go on. go ahead go ahead john <laughs> excuse me pardon uh <clears throat> um no i just thinking like too i also feel like his impeachment was the one that had like the most like universally like he did bad even if we just even if we like him because he's a part of us like it, the things he did were bad or it's like yeah. who is it andrew johnson i think was a guy who got impeached right first after lincoln um and he was like an obstructionist right like he was like yeah no post-civil war reforms like yeah i'm going against everything that everyone else is in consensus with trying to rebuild the union which is like okay like yeah that's bad but like i don't know <laughs> bargaining like our political future so he could win an election over who at the time was the like one of the weaker candidates and like the very clear connections between him all of his associates and like the ukraine government and like russia was <laughs> just like how is this not a slam dunk and of course it wasn't and it's just yeah. like a sign of how i mean this whole year like every sort of what should be a common sense just kind of like check the box decision and process is right. it, it just thrown out the window jean you're you're absolutely right that everybody you know agreed he had done something bad you know at first the argument was no quid pro quo and then became pretty clear it was obviously a, a quid pro quo and then the argument became you can't impeach a president in an election year you have to let the american people decide <laughs> so yeah, but you now, can, you, you can, now how you ironic know. is it now that like we've had the election and now oh it's just it's wild how things are right and that narrative's gone like the narrative of of the, like oh my god like that's how far away it feels that <laughs> the impeachment process was like to fix to uh student and fix his point like it feels like so long ago like it feels like four years ago because the it narrative BC. it was BC. shifted so right right yeah oh Just man anyone got hilarious. anything else on on january I would just add one positive for January um, is that uh, given that this is a climate change therapy podcast is that despite all of the wildfires that occurred in Australia and as tragic as that was, um, it actually lowered the global temperature due to all of the smog and uh, burned smoke that was put into the atmosphere in a way similar to volcanoes do does that does it lower the temperature is that just a momentary um thing or is that actually like long long term is it like a is it just a short term couple year a couple of years month depending on on it um but it basically it's the same thing that a volcano would do where a volcano spews out tons of water vapor and a lot of sulfur and that stuff is super shiny shiny and it goes up into the atmosphere and reflects sunlight so it temporarily lowers uh the ability of sun to get in like a, a little thin umbrella eventually that it goes lowers. away yes sir would all the stuff associated with the fires not be um, bad? Um, 
you know, like the, the, the smog and all the particulates and all that stuff, does that not have any effect on either, you know, what, there's carcinogens whenever you burn Your sensitive lungs, and, is that what you're asking Oh, about? our sensitive lungs, sure, but did, was there any effect on death like, baby plant koalas. life? You know, like plant life, like if these things are blocking out sunlight and all of that, is it decreasing our capacity to absorb carbon in the first place? Is there a definitive way to say that the wildfires were a net positive and not just really crummy? I, oh, so they're entirely crummy, but a lot of forest fires are actually natural and forests and uh, climates and environments rely on them to reset the balance and return organics to the soil. Um, it, it is a cycle of things that happen and it's part of that the circle of life, as some say. That being said, loss that was of property, loss of biodiversity is, yeah, is tragic. I mean, in California, like part of learning about the biome of a state is that wildfires are natural. It's just that as they increasingly happen or they're a result of like man-made or they're, they're, they're started by idiots throwing their cigarette butts out the window during a drought or... I don't know, some house blowing up and then setting acres and acres on fire, which also kind of speaks to the importance of reducing sprawl. Just we're talking about, you know, the block radius in the city. Um, There's some that's facts a good point. about the bush bushfires. Uh, over 101, $103 billion in damages um, burned 46 million acres. Uh, the causes were lightning strikes um accidental um and alleged arson for seemingly clearing lands um causes a drought global warming high temp higher temperatures nine thousand buildings destroyed um and three billion animals uh destroyed killed yeah isn't it crazy how Left alone, perhaps Mike's Mike's you know postulation holds true. You know, I was even thinking about somebody was telling me about how the Native Americans California used to actually also practice controlled like fire burns and stuff like that too. Um, and we're much more about like you know uh, kind of um, allowing nature to run its course. But we have this imposing relationship with nature, and so we are inclined to bounce back and rebuild all of the stuff that was destroyed, all the concrete that goes into building a house and all that stuff. It's going to cost a lot more in energy than, than was ever, you know, saved by whatever Mike was talking about with the world being a little cooler for a couple of months. If we don't rebuild, we can't put a price tag on the disaster. It's 103 something billion, right? If we weren't rebuilding, the price tag would be zero. I wish some like these could be opportunities to quote unquote build back better. Hashtag Joe Biden. Um, <laughs> but what I cynically anticipate happening is just like literally rebuilding it all and like not changing like any any sort of like residential patterns and densifying in a way and and, and building more renewably. I mean, especially because it's so expensive, they're probably going to try and build it cheaper and more quickly to get people back in their homes and, you know, living a semblance of a life again, a, a stable life. But look, yeah, I agree. Look, 
you guys are all city planners and architects and we see all these great best practices coming out, but 99% of the development that's going on is not a best practice. It's a economical decision. It's damage control. It's, it's, it's using the resources at hand instead of going one step further to do something that is longer term, more sustainable. And so that, that's kind of the tragedy there. Mm-hmm. And you look at the but causes, enough, mm-hmm. it says that, that some of it's alleged. We're still in January. And some of the causes of these fires, they're people setting things afire. Um, that's what's also happening in the Amazon. It's people are lighting things on fire for land and it's happening in, in Borneo. Um, just land is worth more when it's burnt to the crisp than when it is a, an ecological, uh, you know, biodiverse, you know, cluster of like, basically like a, a, a natural city, a jungle. Sad. All right, let's move on to February. Um, oh, one more thing that happened in, in January. David Stern died, former NBA commissioner. So shout out, rest in peace, David Stern. Also, yeah. uh, near Neil, Neil Pert, drummer of uh, Rush, uh, kind of uh, renowned as one of the, the, the greatest rock drummers of all time. All right, February 2020, uh, we had the Iowa caucus. This is in the uh, – it, it started. things started to heat up. I think Biden finished maybe fifth at that point, and it was looking like his campaign uh, was going down the toilet. Buttigieg was up there. Bernie Sanders finished uh, pretty high. Um, I think uh, Klobuchar did well. Warren. I think Yang surprised some people. Am I missing anybody? Um, maybe not yet, but Buttigieg won. That, this, we should have known something was up when – uh, back in February, before coronavirus was causing any complications, there was a delayed uh, result, delayed vote totals for the Iowa caucus, and we didn't know who won that evening, and there was all chaos uh, in the voters. No mail-ins, no nothing, um, but I, we didn't know who who won um, until uh, – I don't remember. I, either the, I didn't find out that night. Um, that but, Iowa still is the temper- – is like the thermometer for our, like – political process is ridiculous you know it's funny you know you kept reading about these bellwether counties and bellwether you know electorates right and apparently this year was the first year that it like broke every single bellwether that had gotten it right for the past x number of elections right um and i think iowa was kind of that that demographic which was you know blue collar white people (laughs) Um, and that no longer is going to reflect a majority of the nation um, and all that. I just had one comment here. You know, Iowa's election process is so dumb. You literally put a bunch of people in a room and you tell them to stand in one corner of the room, depending on who they want to be president. I mean, uh, the fact that, A, that's a process is hilarious, but B, that we hold on to processes and are unwilling to change things that don't work. It's like, uh, uh, just because we have been doing it doesn't mean it's holy, right? It doesn't mean- I think- think But that's America. No, but I think there's something to Iowa in defense of Iowa, like the way that they can do- (laughs) No, people talk about like, it's like what we need is more like proportional voting systems where you can like start ranking candidates. And that's like what Iowa can do. Is like you can be like, all right, well, like no, I love Bernie, point. so Bernie, 
but Bernie's not going to win. Sorry. Well, who's my like second round? And it like, everybody's like very strategic and like, they, you know, they think about the candidates a little bit more than like Trump or die. Like, you know, it's like everybody else is the enemy. Like there is like, you know, a ranking process that happens, which is like, it's like admirable and like should be more, I guess like, you know, it should be adopted more in other places. I agree. I thought I thought it was kind of cool and kind of interesting. I think that a lot of the criticism just came from how long it took to get those vote totals and to, for people to figure out what was going on. I still I have these memories of preview of November Dapper and Dana Bash, just you know being in Iowa in some you know some like basement complaining about the conditions. And this is February. Like little, little did they know about what the conditions of the world were about to be like, but they're like, yeah, like there's, you know, it's cold and there's no lights or something and no one knows what's going on. But oh man, my seltzer water the days where I could, you know, be back in February 2020 complaining mode. Was... February was the last time I really well, March, but February, well, it was my birthday, and that was the last time I saw pseudonym and Lars in person, like in any meaningful capacity. And then March, and I'm skipping ahead a little, but then March was when I saw Robert, um, and 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 pseudonym also once more, but very briefly. Um, that but was I like back that was like two days before like everything shut down. Yes, too, which is crazy. literally. Um, and I, so I look back on March and it's like, I mean, um, February and it's just like, oh my gosh, so, so much happened, but that was also like the last semblance of real life that <laughs> I experienced. And it's so weird to think that that's a year ago is only two months away from yeah. that. Yeah. Mike, do you the remember celebrating Chinese new year in February, 2020 with, uh, we were together in China vaguely making, <laughs> making, uh, offensive jokes about maybe maybe not making offensive jokes about the coronavirus Wasn't i don't think we were a bottle of champagne yeah i drank a bottle of champagne i bought a bottle of champagne at a bar which is very expensive so i don't recommend <laughs> and i feel like it's even more expensive when you buy it on new year's uh drinks so on me <laughs> let that be a lesson but i don't i don't necessarily think that we were being offensive with what our jokes are i just do felt like a very Like while we were doing that, all of China was shut down and we were there like marveling at how Chinese New Year here was continuing versus the entire country of China was forced to not, you know, celebrate. Right. Not not offensive, but just as ignorant as the rest of the world. Well, yeah, I think that the United States and every other country was like, can't like happen here. It's a China thing. It will yeah. be contained. Yeah. It's not th- not something we need to worry about. It's wild. Know. I was I was in Italy the last week of January, and the first weeks of February, the country shut down. And I come back here, I didn't even think twice that I was in Italy in January. It it occurred to me in the middle of March that I was in Italy in January, and then I was like, huh. This now thing was so far removed from my conscience that I really just didn't even care. We went to um, fuck. What was it? What was the name of that bar? That was like right by campus. Blarney uh, Stone. No, not Blarney Stone. New Deck. Oh, New Deck. Tiger. New Deck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, remember we? Yeah, we all went to New Deck after you got back from Italy. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. 
That was like the last, like, that was the last good meal I had in over a year. It's funny. I don't know how you guys reflect on the year, but I got some great memories out of February. And maybe that's because they're my most recent memories of not living in my parents' basement. But I look very fondly back on the, like, every single one of those weekends. It's just very interesting. I wonder if I would think about any other month that way had, you know. Yeah. It was Robbie's last month being in class in person. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, were, were people in, in school uh, at Penn, were they, were they talking about COVID in February? Oh, yeah. I can give you the, the, the current and former student perspective. So there was a, um, yeah, like, People were kind of like, oh, this is real. We live in a Petri dish. Um, like if any, you know, if our studio, we're all going to die in studio. If our listeners are familiar with the program too. Yeah. Yeah. A lot. Yeah. A lot of international students in the program. Um, yeah. I think February, everybody was still like, not here. This ain't going to happen. By March, people were starting to get like a little skeptical. Like we're like, it's like, you know, there's talk of these travel studios where you send like, you know, 15 people like all over the country and then or all over the world sometimes and they come back, you know, and sit in the same room, uh, which doesn't sound like a great idea now. You know, I went to Denver. I, I went to Washington, D.C. and Newark, New Jersey for my travel studio. So, yeah. You know, wow. the, the, you know. Right in the NEC. Um, I, remember, I know that there are a lot of Chinese students specifically in, in yeah. your, no, your, your program, which was our program. They were from Wuhan, like several really? Wuhan-based classmates. Um, yeah, I think seeing seeing students, you know, our classmates wear face masks in January was very surprising. Wow. Like, I, I remember, yeah, yeah, there were several classmates that were wearing face masks in January. And that seemed like such overkill at the time and just like very, very strange. And almost there was almost, there was a feeling too, that like if things were really getting bad and this is like more February or this is March and April, where it's like wearing a face mask, that's irresponsible. Like, you know, there's a, you know, a PPE shortage. You should not be wearing a face mask. That's, you know, a little ridiculous. And just like how quickly yeah, that's changed as like a, you know, social norm to like, oh no, like, yeah, everybody just put whatever the fuck you can like over your mouth and that'll be, you know, good for the time being. Um, a scarf? Mm-hmm. Yeah, a scarf, a wet bag, you know. <laughs> we like, took um, old sheets and uh, made masks. Yeah. And that was like all we had for, to like go out and get groceries with the first couple weeks. Henry, you had a t-shirt mask for a while. It's just a sleeve and yes, a t-shirt, right? Yeah, t-shirt mask. Yeah, well, according to the research I did for the year in review yesterday, masks did not become recommended by the CDC until early April. Unbelievable. I think they actually backtracked before that, though. I think they had, not the CDC, but like, I'm pretty sure like the WHO and like other bodies yeah. recommended masks. And then they backtracked because they knew that we didn't have the supply. So I, I hope you don't mind if I'm moving forward towards D-Day, Henry, away from February towards March. No, let's do but, it. Um, let's my do birthday, it. March 16th. Oh, what oh. a wonderful day. We'll <laughs> celebrate one day. 
You got the Ides of March around there. And so for me, Friday the 13th was D-Day. Oh, Friday um, the 13th. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I remember that my mom had shipped me up a package the last week of February. And what they have, they run, they, they go down to Ecuador to do work, um, medical work down there every year. She ended up having a bunch of expired N95s from years. They've been going for the last 30 years, right? And she mailed me two bottles of hand sanitizer and two N95s. That's cool. Then they got up here and it was all over the news. Like, like I shouldn't have these. These are contraband essentially because they should go to medical professionals. I gave one to my resident roommate who is, um, he didn't just live there, but he was a medical resident. Um, this is the week of March 9th. Through this, the yeah, that's, that's exactly the week. Yep. And, um, you know, then I, I put the mask on and I wore the mask to the grocery store. And nobody realized... cared who I was till I put on the mask. <laughs> and then it turns, yeah. Uh, I went to the grocery store and there was literally nothing on any of the shelves in my neighborhood grocery store. And so then I just threw up my hands. I went to Popeye's and I bought a $90 ticket back to Birmingham. I wore the mask the entire way. And when I got to the airport in Atlanta, I was the only person in the busiest airport in the world wearing a mask. And it was insane to me that there was such a stigma against wearing masks yeah. by March 13th. Uh, and that, that I literally felt like I was committing a wrong. I shouldn't have this mask. B, I shouldn't be wearing it because I look like a fool and I'm causing fear. And, I, you know. And it was just like all these different emotions associated with mask wearing, you know, and it's kind of crazy that you, you mentioned how the CDC finally recommends wear a mask in April. And there's a whole month in between when we just let things kind of just go out of control for no reason. Mm-hmm. So you wore just the to- mask as the only one in the airport. Um, that's commendable, first of all. Um, so why did you continue to wear the match, uh, the mask? How did you not give in to peer pressure and just, you know, take it off. I look ridiculous. Well, first of all, I took dare as an elementary school kid, so I don't believe in peer pressure. Um, but you know, my parents are doctors and, um, and uh, I, I don't know. I also really felt my mom is a geriatrician. So all of her patients are really old. And so I felt like I had to wear the mask when they came to pick me up in the Atlanta airport, you know, and if they have to see me, I don't know anybody in the Atlanta airport. I don't really mind the self-consciousness of all that, but it, it was just, it stunk that that emotion was there in the first place. That stigma. Yeah. John, John, were you going to say something? No, I was going to say I, I had a similar, but kind of reverse experience because the first week of March and the last week of February, I was traveling to Tampa, Florida for work. And I literally spent both like Monday to Friday in Tampa, traveling all around the city for various public meetings. And the first week, I was still skeptical. Like, you know, I feel like people are, you know, fear mongering a little bit, like just the, it it, it just felt like there was no real answer. So it was just kind of like, all right, like, everyone's just going to freak out. I'm going to just play calm until like, I really need to be worried. And that was the first week when I was down there. And so we were still shaking hands and, and meeting people. And of course, this is, this is Tampa, which um, I don't think was doing very well and probably still isn't to an extent um, in dealing with the, the virus. 
But the second week, it was like, okay, like this is the the week of March 9th, I guess. And it's like, okay, um, I, you know, it's like Tuesday maybe. And I've I've been there since Monday. And I'm just kind of like, you know, I don't know that I feel comfortable really partaking in these meetings anymore. Um, And when we're meeting like other clients and uh, other partners, it's like, oh, you know, elbow bump. And my boss is like, oh yeah, no more shaking hands, just elbow bump. And so you start to see it kind of change. I'm like, all right. This is a little scary. And it's like, oh, I got to get back on a plane to New York where cases are starting to be reported and like increasingly in the outer boroughs. And it's like, okay, get on the plane and the plane's empty. So it's like the, the week before full plane, the, the next week, it's like so sparse, um, a whole road to myself, essentially. And my uh, one of my senior designers is like giving me um, Purell and like wipes to like clean my seat down and stuff. And I'm like doing it, feeling a little stupid, but then like also looking and seeing that like no one else is on the plane. And then of course, dropping back into New York city, I meet Robert ball. We have uh, like a nice quick thing. I give pseudonym uh, a sweater that he had left uh, in my apartment. And then, you know, my, my girlfriend and I are like, we're not going into the office this week. Um, I think her, cause she's a teacher. They were like, yeah, we're, we're, you know, remote or like the week off or something like that. And come that Friday office closed. Um, food's gone from every, every local grocery store. Like we're like buying up just like panicking. Like there's no toilet paper. And we, of course we're running out of toilet paper and it's all bought up. It's like, what the hell are we going to do? It's, it's, I mean, I don't know that I have, except for maybe, 9-11 like in like a different way ever felt like such an existential threat to like my ability to survive um and even then I was a child so I didn't really know what that meant but this was like very scary it was a very scary month and think about how far we've come or maybe how far we've devolved but at at that time that was so scary we have only there was only about a thousand cases total at that point um in the country, a thousand cases total. Now we're at 200,000 cases per day. And the, and we're not, we're not really scared anymore. It's just kind of, it, it speaks to the limitations of the human mind, I think. And that's also when the United States like electively shut down for all of that, the only time we really did that. And the president was promising, you know, we'd be reopened by Easter. He wanted everyone to celebrate Easter together. It was going to go away with the sun and the warm weather. Yeah, the sun, the warm weather, heat will kill it. Um, so that brings us to like the 13th of April, right? Well, Easter. Be- before we get to April, let's just wrap up March here. So There's on the, the 13th, uh, the 11th of March, so that's when Rudy Gobert was ruled out for the jazz game. That's when the NBA shut down. I remember I was playing intramural soccer at that point. We just played. I actually, I got a text. I got a text as I was walking out of that grocery store that had been stripped. And it was my buddy took a picture of the scoreboard at the thunder game. And he literally was like, what's going on? (laughs) And they kicked everyone out of the stadium. Yeah. I mean, that was a shot. And that was also the time. That's when I knew. Yeah. Was that, that the was... game when the doctor ran out onto the court at the beginning and was like yelling at the person? Like the first time, like some like nerd in a suit ran out and started screaming at the head coach to get them all back in the locker room. 
Didn't Rudy Gobert yeah. just get like a massive contract extension too? He did. Oh yeah, largest for a big man ever. But he, it's <laughs> it's it's so ironic too that he's uh, had yeah, he's and, had you a, know he's had a bounce back. He's had a K recovery year. <laughs> I mean, there's a <laughs> there was a video. Right, like the NBA media started taking precautions and extending the distance from the media and the players and staff. And in his last interview, he's as he gets up to leave, touches all of the microphones, and then leaves. And then literally, like maybe two, three mm-hmm. days later, it's like shut down. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rudy Gobert test positive for coronavirus. Right, and just days before that, the NBA had sent out a memo to teams saying we might have to prepare to play some games without fans. And then, I mean, LeBron's like, I'll, I, I'm not going to play without fans. Fans. And then a couple of days later, they, the NBA just shuts. They suspend their entire season. And you know, as we'll see later on in this program, um, spoiler alert: the NBA came back in in July. So it took four <laughs> four months. Uh, but there's no Roaring. spoilers in history. Um, but so just plowing through March because we got a long way to go, boys. Um, so then we're we're under quarantine at this point. Uh, restaurants closed down. Things closed down. We get introduced to Dr. Anthony Fauci, Sanjay Gupta. They, we welcome uh, those gentlemen to our home. knew who Sanjay was. Tyra Kim comes out. We, uh, you, okay, Fauci, Fauci, at least. Deborah Burks, shout out to Deborah Burks, just announced her retirement today. Um, but also, the first stimulus package was passed in March. So the second one was passed today, but the first one was passed back in March. So it's been nine months now. So everything, you know, the, sh- the shit at the fan, there were a thousand cases total and they passed this, everything shut down and they passed the stimulus package. You know, now only up now when we're up to 18 million cases total, uh, I think and 18 million cases in, in just in the U uh, S um, they passed uh, stimulus number two uh, today. Um, which was uh, stimulus one was two trillion stimulus two uh, was 900 billion um, so anyway we just had to get that in for march 2020 was stimulus package number one uh, did you guys get your first uh, stimulus checks mm-hmm. got those okay good it went straight Thanks to nick checking. went straight to where straight to nick nick yeah nick Nick. Oh, our landlord. All <laughs> 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 right. Yeah. Man, back in April, Robert was was uh, living down the hall. Um, all right. Now we can now we can get to April. We just had to get the first stimulus uh, out of the way at the end of end of March with the CARES Act. Uh, all right. So Mike, what were you gonna say about April 2020? Masks have now become recommended by the CDC following the passage of the first stimulus act. Uh, New York City is now a bloodbath. Um, they're turning the epicenter of the pandemic in the world. Um, they're turning Central Park into a makeshift hospital. Mike, the floor is yours. Lars, I'm sorry, the floor is yours. I was just going to go from that with uh, the promise that things are going to be better by Easter and that they wanted everyone to be able to celebrate Easter together with their families. Uh, but instead, things went the opposite direction. I think this is when the big ship went to New York. Uh, just point out that mm-hmm. has, that has more hospital the beds than the, the entire state of Maine. Uh, Wait, this was a ship that was a hospital? hospital? Yeah, 
the Navy yeah, has two ship. hospital ships that are painted white in a different color and it's against international treaties and stuff. If you shoot at that, that's like an act of war. Not that it's not an act of war, but that's very frowned upon. <laughs> um, and so one of them went to New York City. Masturbating uh, on an airplane. Uh, Jean, Jean, you are in New York City <laughs> at this point, right? Eyes on the I ground. Am. What was uh, what was Manhattan? You're in the Lower East Side, if I remember. What what was uh, what was Manhattan like when the, um, you know, when the ship came in? Um, I mean, apparently, some of my colleagues in Brooklyn like went to look or wherever it docked. I forget. Um, but metaphorically, I mean, when the ship came in, I guess figuratively and literally. I mean, it was it was desolate. 2020 in general. What was Manhattan like? I mean, it was scary like every time we stepped outside it was like oh my god are we going to bring covid home so we sanitized our our hands every time we left every time we came home every everything we brought in from the store we washed we washed we wiped it down with uh sanitary wipes or we washed it under the sink um it was i mean we were like inside as all the time like no leisurely walks or anything like that. Like it was like uh, all the stuff they recommend, you know, go out and, and, and get some air. Like all of that was like, no, like, no, that, that sounds like a death sentence. I mean, uh, I want to say like March and May, uh, March and April, excuse me, were it, like, I remember hearing sirens all the time, people outside doing the claps at seven o'clock for essential workers. And that's gone. <laughs> no one gives to fuck about essential workers anymore <laughs> like, yeah, at least not to that extent i mean it was i mean i'm jumping ahead a little bit but uh you know uh my partner and i traveled in june and when we went to other places like i went back to california she went back to houston it was like we had ptsd from our time in new york and every everything everyone did was like a trigger um that's how that's how like traumatizing it, it was. And, you know, we're still alive and we still have our jobs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because the rest of the country initially, they were not hit nearly as hard as New York, of course. So they weren't taking a lot of the protocols as seriously as you, as you had to in, in New York. Um, so when you went elsewhere to Houston, to, to LA, you, not everyone's wearing a mask and you, that must've been a shock. Um, pseudonym, what was it like in Alabama? Oh, boy. Well, remember, we I, talked since March 18th. I know. Uh, to be totally honest, I, I didn't leave my parents' basement even to really go outside. Um, I was just being super paranoid, so I, I you know, had a little scratchy throat or something like that. So I actually stayed in my basement for a month without seeing my parents. Um, and I remember I went on a walk with my dog and I saw somebody and they were probably like about a hundred, a hundred feet away. And I decided to stop right there and talk to them from there. And they thought I was literally insane, which to be fair, I was literally insane because I'd been trapped in a basement for four straight weeks, but it was just crazy. I've never gone that amount of time without actually interacting with another soul besides talking to my parents from across the porch. Um, It's truly surreal. Um, And I could talk all about the rest of Alabama. The fact that, you know, masks were 
optional until, you know. You were teaching a class too, though, right? So you were like right on the forefront of Zoom teaching at that point. Yeah, we started, I had one week to transfer the entire syllabus to um, virtual and then eight weeks to deal with the absolute shitstorm that ensued. Um, it was, I feel quite honestly bad for anybody who's going, especially Robert Ball here, finishing up his degree. You know, it, Zoom it's just University. so much you can't do, can't do during, through Zoom University. Incredibly frustrating. Um. <laughs> Speaking of Zoom, that was another thing that really took off in April. Everybody realized that you could call people on video. And I, by everybody, I mean everyone outside of millennials. There was like a very like kind of like fun, <laughs> like, it's like, hello, high school friends I haven't talked to in like, you know, like 10 years. Like, let's all catch up on Zoom. Like, it was like around, I saw Tiger King on the agenda, around like Tiger King time. It was like, oh, like, you know, we're all in this together. Let's all Zoom together. That's like mostly dropped off like entirely um but yeah there were there were a couple like very kind of like like jovial like everybody show me your apartment like kind of zooms in the early days the you know the the pre-cambrian like covid (laughs) (laughs) and they're stopped yeah yeah it's like nobody wants to have a reunion anymore zoom fatigue everybody just wants to you know you know let the darkness (laughs) take over the limitation of Zoom really is that you can only have one conversation. You can't have side conversations really. So if you're hanging out rooms. with, you know, like 10 people or something, you know, you can only have one person has to be talking the whole time. You know, you can't just catch up with anyone individually. So right. just good for podcasts, but bad for parties. <laughs> yeah, I had never, we've never bad done podcasts meeting, on Zoom until, until this. It's always been in person. Another, another, I don't think it was on the agenda, but another highlight of like the early, early COVID era, Warzone, when Warzone came out. Yeah. Yeah. What's Warzone? It's still a highlight now. <laughs> Can you explain uh, to this Luddite what Warzone is? War- Go ahead, Robert. Henry, Warzone is what I was playing. Top secret time. government project to train us to become Manchurian candidate soldiers by giving <laughs> us experience fighting in Eastern Ukraine, honestly. Yep. Is it Operation to develop the vaccine. <laughs> you, you, yeah, you ran up. Actually, you ran away from the vaccine. That was the cloud of gas that was encircling you. <laughs> it's, a, it's a video game. It's a video game. It was no. It was a video. Yeah, it's game a free to play. Yeah. So it's a free to play version of Call of Duty, uh, which is a very popular war simulation game where you just you know kill other people. Um, customize your guns. This is your drop from a plane with 149 other people. Sometimes you're solo. Sometimes you're in different uh, number of teams and you complete contracts and you kill other people as you make your way from the outside. It's the battle royale closes. Yes. Yes. Battle royale, call of duty. But the thing was, it was a cultural phenomenon. Like I didn't even own an, an Xbox and I still downloaded this thing on my dad's computer in the basement just to fit in you know it, it was a cultural phenomenon which i you know so many of these things last dance you know, tiger king oh so, my god some say yeah. the graphics are still loading on that uh on that computer 
<laughs> I completely missed this. I mean, I love the last dance I watched at, you know, every Sunday night. I, the last dance I, was, was a highlight of my week. What a blast from the past. Um, was that May? That was uh, the end of April. April uh, into May. May. Yeah. Um, but before we move on from, uh, yeah, because there's no sports at all. So even all the ESP, Stephen A. Smith was talking about, you know, was talking about this documentary on Michael Jordan every day, because um, there were there was no sports at all for a good, good four months, which was wait, that's never happened. We have bre- Are you guys seeing breaking news? No, it's that Trump says he's not going to sign the uh, the 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 relief bill. What? Yeah. He just no. said he's push, he wants to push for larger checks. I just Good thing or a bad push. thing? I don't know. Poor MTA, though. The president get... pushes for larger checks and signals he won't sign COVID relief bill, putting the future of the $900 billion legislation in doubt. So it's it's on he's the also, one hand. Go ahead. I was going to say he's also asked leg- legislators to remove, quote, wasteful and unnecessary spending. So... Fuck. We're not. We're not gonna get that six hundred dollars. The MCA is not gonna get their four point two billion, dude. <sighs> dude, did you, have you guys seen? I know, um, Hank. We're jumping around, but that bill included like five hundred million dollars to Israel. It also included a new copyright uh, law that would have made it extremely difficult for streamers and content creators to that. do that's that that's at all. Um, it's. it's it's like such a shady it's on the one hand it's like okay yeah give money to people who need it but that money as a proportion of it is like so small and it comes with so many like bad things for everyone like just like patently bad and then also like why are we giving money to x y and z right (laughs) but you know only six hundred dollars to people who are literally being evicted it's it's, it's like congress could pass like one bill this year and it's like they put everything into this one well bill. it's an omnibus like, funding bill right for the whole federal government too mm-hmm. so yeah. like isn't he also rejecting keeping the government lights on probably it's like who the fuck like he doesn't fucking care he's you know he, he can he can stay in the dark for 30 days like yeah his chef is gonna blowing it all load. up he doesn't use his chef he goes to mcdonald's like fuck him. <laughs> oh my god now here's interesting here's one little quote um uh, it says, quote, I am asking Congress to amend this bill and increase the ridiculously low $600 to $2,000 or $4,000 per couple. Now, Thanks, now what do you guys think about that? <laughs> Let me just get my hat. Do we ready. have to be married? <laughs> he wants to give $4,000? Well, 2000 individuals, 4000 a couple. I mean, it's just basic math. But yeah, He's uh, not going to get that, though, so this whole thing is going to, like, torpedo. Do you think that's a... This is not a political podcast, but I'm just wondering if you think this is a, a diversionary tactic or if that was a truthfully stance. I think it's so much more comp. It's he's he's a populist, you know, but it's so he's, he's going to say these things, but it's so much more complicated than the price of this the stimulus checks. Yes, they should be higher. They were twelve hundred dollars back when there were, uh, you know, less a thousand total cases. Now there's two hundred thousand daily um the check should be higher we're going into into winter uh it's only the second day of winter right now so we still got three months ahead of us happy solstice Um, everyone (laughs) so restaurants are closing to this till the spring but there's so much more to it like the the um the unemployment benefits the 
the eviction extensions. There's there's so much other uh, small small business loans. There's so many elements that uh, are are needed uh, besides the the check. So like if they give everyone two thousand dollars, but then they um, you know raise the the eviction moratorium, like people are still going to be evicted. Um, so it's just it's complicated. But um, we we so we're only on April right now. Um, just a couple of quick uh, RIPs of uh, the great Bill Withers, uh, John Prine, one of my favorite singers of, of all time. Uh, rest in peace, a uh, couple of legends. Um, May, now we're into May 2020. Uh, we had the SpaceX launch, uh, sent some astronauts into space. That was kind of crazy. The first, the first private company, first commercial uh, space flight. Um, do you guys do you guys realize how a spacecraft returns? How astronauts return from space? It's kind of insane. Yeah. Yes, like a popcorn cool. kernel. <laughs> it's kind of but yeah, it's it was like a dumb, like it was a dumb question. I was like, absolutely, I know how they get back. It's kind of it's it's wild. <laughs> they don't get back on the same the same thing the same way they left. It's not like no. an airplane. <laughs> um, they kind of parachuted. Um, anyway, you need a ticket. I don't. <laughs> space elevator uh so then we had um we had the social justice protests um the weather is getting nicer memorial day is around the corner um there are there's talks of reopening um the you know, the economy it, it looks like uh, it looks like things that summer could um you know we flattened the curve in some key areas in new york city um you know, and now we. Mean, meanwhile, we have these this uh, this, this wave of um, of uh, police brutality um, and and protest. This was a huge thing. I'd say I would say, like right there with you know, if coronavirus is kind of one a one b of what I'll remember this year about is is uh, these waves of protests that happen not just nationwide but really but globally, um, and for not not just one weekend or even two weekends but it seemed to go on for months um what do you guys remember about about this time who wants to start off i want to say that the same day as the spacex launch robbie and i were sitting in the park uh and that's also the day when things sort of kicked off in philadelphia in terms of the protests and i think we were watching smoke come up over city hall and they had burned the startup starbucks and dilworth plaza uh was on fire and that's what we were seeing the smoke it was from. either a cop car or the starbucks no it was the starbucks yeah i mean the they also had like three cop cars oh, from well. city hall, but so i think is, it was all three this is this is not the right time to jump off but i gotta jump off for uh for family dinner boys um it was great to see everyone Love you guys. This has been a hard yes, year, but I'm very happy that I have such good friends to help me get through the year. I love you guys. This podcast is amazing. I listen to it. I listen to all the episodes on repeat. I love but you yeah, too, man. It, it, it's amazing. And uh, yeah, I hope everybody has a good, happy new year. And uh I'll see you next year. Yes, sir. All right, Robert Pauling. <laughs> see you, Robert. Bye, right. Robert. Bye, folks. Um, all right, yes.
Yes, Lars. I remember being with you in Philadelphia during this time as yeah, well. Yeah, you were in the park with Robbie and uh, Roberto Ball, if you will. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's Saturday. Yeah, we're in Penn Park. So remember that. Celebrating yeah. Robbie's graduation. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh wow. It's um. Right. Yeah, that was the. Yeah, I I think I I was totally in my own bubble. I didn't. I, I wasn't aware of even anything happening. I think at that point on Saturday, it didn't really hit me until, until the Sunday, the next day. Um, and I remember going into downtown biking in just to kind of see what, what had happened, what all the fuss was about. I saw all the, you know, the board up buildings, the broken glass, but also, you know, a lot of people cleaning up and, and helping, uh, helping their neighbors. Um, yeah, it was, it was, it was sad, you know, but it was, it was also, it was a very real moment because there was a lot of, a lot of suffering that had been going on. Um, you know, not, you know, it, yeah. like not just, not just for decades and generations in terms of police brutality, but, but also you know, magnified by the past few months of just quarantine and unemployment. Well, not only that, but the overwhelming number of deaths from the coronavirus, especially in hotspots, were Black, African-American, uh, Latino, Latinx, immigrants, uh, predominantly people of color, and then a lot of people in, in nursing homes and all folks. And I'd also be remiss to say that it wasn't even just May with George Floyd's murder, but it was Ahmaud Arbery, February, Breonna Taylor, I believe, in March um, or early April. Then culminated with after, you know, two months of, you know, jobs being stopped, checks not coming in, uh, people dying left and right. We have a video of a cop with his knee on a man's neck who's screaming for help and saying, don't kill me for eight some change minutes. Um, Like, it's actually very sobering. And I I was telling I was telling my girlfriend about this. because that moment I think will forever be a changing point in my career. Uh, in addition to like me as a person, like, you know, I am mixed race important. That's a key part of my identity because it frames how I move through the world. And uh, there's always been a clear disconnect between myself and my coworkers. And I had already seen all this stuff every day because that's like my social media feed that's what i talk about with my family with with a bunch of my other friends as well and i'm like you know among all these other things like distraught and people are you know reaching out like how are you doing and it's like you know i want to be like not fucking good like at all like i'm here doing this shit that really at the end of the day sometimes doesn't feel like it matters of course you know of course i think our industry and the work that we do matters but it's like on a day-to-day when there are people losing their, their life, their jobs are being brutalized, all these things that we see it, uh, play out spatially and we try and solve in different ways. But it's like the reality is people are dying as a result of over-policing, a history of how we built our, our communities, how we built our society, who built it and, 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 and who we refuse to let occupy um, space in, in this country freely. And I it was like a key moment because it was like, okay, you know, me, like I said, I'm an equity planner. If anything, it's more just that I'm 
you know, I'm a person of color and there are things that I think about and I, I don't experience police brutality viscerally. And I don't know, I think I'm, I probably told some of you guys this, but like, you know, as a kid, I, I, in high school or my first year of high school, I was like the one white looking guy in a group of predominantly black and Hispanic teenagers. And I had watched a fight after school and we're all watching in the streets, you know, it's like, oh shit, you're all crazy, crazy. And the cops show up, they put all of us up against the fence and they, you know, question all of us. It's like, oh my God, oh my God, you know, I'm freaking out because I'm like a goody two shoe little kid. And luckily one of my friends, um, uh, he knows the cops and they let us go. And as we're walking away, it's myself and then two other white guys who just happened to be with us. And then other friend who's, who's black, um, we're walking and the cops pull next to us and they look at us and they go just at the wrong place at the wrong time, huh guys? And then drive off. And that's always stuck with me because I don't imagine and I don't remember them saying that to anybody else, any, anybody else in the group. It was the three, the three of us who are white and, and the, one, the one black student that they, they knew. And that for me is also always a marking point because it's like, it, it, it's always like, you know, oh, okay. Like I, I am not, you know, I'm not purely white in any other era. I could have been, you know, enslaved because of the one drop rule and I was treated differently for how I was. And so I, I think about that all the time. I think about that as I walk through space. And so when I'm at work and I, there's like a whole part of me, I can't discuss all these things, blah, blah, blah. And that Friday, after the protest really started to happen, I, I wrote like a very long email to my, my boss and my team. I was just like, you know, I, I think we need to have a discussion. Like this is something that is a symptom of like the kind of work we do. We get all this money to go into communities that have been redlined. Um, these, these communities are predominantly black um, or often like black communities where there's transit coming into and we're like, talking about equity, but we're not really doing anything that's meaningful at all. It's very much, we do the same kind of thing in each space and we move on and we collect our checks. And, you know, since then my experience at work has been uh, like, I, I don't know, I've taken it upon myself to, I, like, I have to be outspoken and I have to be, if I'm going to be the corporate guy and I'm going to go this route and not be in the streets, like, um, I, I have to be vocal and I have to be like that person who holds up the conversation because it's not good enough. Like I was in a meeting with my coworkers and, and I, I, so I told my, in my small team and then in like a larger New York office planning, they were like one of my seniors. I was like, um, you know, uh, Jean, do you want to say something about what's going on in, in, in the world? And so I have to say and to all these people who I'm the only I'm the only black planner in the New York area uh, out of all of the big companies offices that I know of at least. And, you know, I'm, I don't look very black. So I'm having to speak to this thing as the one person. And so it just, it was just, you know, it, it hit on so many different levels. I think for so many different people, you know, white, black, brown, Asian, um, you know, that it, it but that's how it hit for me and, and I can trace like the arc of my career like now I'm being put on more projects because they recognize my value and being able just being able to talk like this to, to to everyone on this podcast is like something that they need now on projects and so now I'm being put on projects and stuff and so it's like I don't know I've been kind of rambling but that has 
you know, May 2020 is uh, going to kind of forever live in the midst of a global pandemic. That is like a marking point. Um, like you talk about 1A, that is 1B. Absolutely. And oh my God, keep. Lars just brought his dog, his therapy dog, uh, on the screen. So we're all just reacting to that right now. Um, Sean, thanks for sharing that story. Um, much appreciated. Um, yeah, Sean, I had no idea of how that played out in your office. Uh, that's pretty crazy. I think about that a lot too, as a, as a planner, um, a lot of the, the neighborhoods that we're working in, especially at urban planner in cities, it's a, a lot of these redlined, uh, predominantly African-American neighbor neighborhoods. And, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a white guy working in these areas and planning is a, ve is a very, it's, it's a very white profession. And I mean, it, and that, and that's a shame, you know, I feel like, I feel like um, people in these communities, they, they want to feel represented, you know, in, in, uh, in, in their local government and also even in, in the consultants that are working on the projects that affect their community. And it's a, it's a difficult question sometimes. And um, it's, it's a very, very real thing. And I'm, I'm happy you, you brought that up. Yeah. And I, and I will say like, there's one thing about representation, but there's also like one thing, like, you know, what, what's this, what's the Supreme, the black Supreme court justice. Who's like actually very problematic. Clarence Thomas. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, okay. It's so like representation kind of isn't good enough. That's why I hate Hamilton. I think I went on a rant because it's like, Oh, you know, all these, all these people are playing these historic roles. But um, I was telling um, an associate of, of pseudonym the other day on a call um, who was also interested in like equity and planning, um, just asking me like, you know, how to kind of be better. And like, I think what I, what I hope everyone takes away is just being more thoughtful because like what the pandemic has showed us like across race, age and, and gender um, sexuality. It's like all these different things that affect us. It's not, not just police brutality, but it's like evictions. It's like being, you know, have, being able to work and like support yourself, just being able to survive like that. I hope people are more thoughtful and empathetic in how they do things. And like, that's all I tell, like, you know, that's all I'll tell like anybody who's interested in the work, like, okay, like, yeah, you may not be like from the community or ever lived in one of these communities, but you are a person you can like, listen to them and like try and like understand what it's, what it's like to, to, you know, be ignored and, and not represented and like channel that and like, you know, use your voice and leverage and give, give their voice to your technical skills and, you know, channel them kind of. Um, but yeah, mm -hmm. uh, that's the last thing I'm going to say for this month. So other people can talk. <laughs> it's a big also, month though. I mean, as you said earlier, I think, you know, I'll look back and say, this is the most important year like historically you know i'll look back in a little textbook and this is the most important year in my life uh in terms of historical goings on but to me the thing that did that yes the pandemic is big it's worldwide it's huge but the thing that was more poignant the raw emotion was definitely in response to the george floyd murder right like so it, it's it's it's, it's crazy like that we're going through uh, 
know, call out certain summers you can, you know, summer 69, then you, you know, April 1992, um, you know, it, it's, it, it was wild to be in that moment and realize that you are living in something that will end up in a textbook. And then you don't know what to do. And so like, I, I was conflicted. They had, they had protest in Birmingham. I actually called my manager and was like, I got to go. Like, I got to go downtown right now. They're like, somebody called in a KKK threat and they're going to go like protest or, you know, like we're going to go protest the KKK downtown and all that stuff. And then at the same time, my mom is working on patients who are 90 years old and I can't expose myself to anybody. I can't leave my house. And it's this whole tug of war. And, and it's, I can't tell you how many times I had the conversation like, well, what, what do I want to be able to look back and say that I did for a righteous purpose here? Is it that I go out and I spray paint the Confederate street signs that are in my neighborhood still, you know, like, you know, street names that are, you know, Battle Bull Run or Lee Street, stuff like that. Um, It's this weird, weird how do you act in the moment knowing what you do is of immense consequence? Um, and I'd never lived through anything like that. Yeah. Um, last thing I want to say on this um, is that because this also coincided with, with the reopenings of cities, uh, I, I found this moment to also be an, an ins- inspiring um in, 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 in uh, inspiring four cities for the the concept of a city in general as a thing when it was happening when it was like is it protests is it is it looting does it does this mean is everyone just going to leave the city is it going to be like a white flight you know 2.0 kind of thing is this like the race riots of 67 67 and pretty quickly we realized like the answer was 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 no like the like cities i feel like be they 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 seem to me to bounce back stronger you know like they maybe because it coincided with the reopenings but it was as if the the protests happened things were boarded up for maybe a week but then like or a week or two weeks but then very quickly all of a sudden the city kind of became a beautiful place to be and there was outdoor seating everywhere and it was it was almost like i, I don't know i i found it very I, I just keep saying the word inspiring, um, but uh, you know, as a fan of cities, I was very proud to be a Philadelphian um, at that point. Um, I mean, it was city residents who came together and really took to the streets for the most part, and, and people drove in or you know took you know found their way to these major cities across the country and and like joined together. I mean, I will also say too that one of the amazing things about the protests is that. I don't know of any study or any proof that they led to an increase in COVID cases. Um, in the protest that I went to in June or May, I forget, um, people were even handing out like masks and water and like hand sanitizer, like communally. It, it was a very interesting thing to see. Um, and also to not like see any major rises in COVID cases um, after that, at least in New York. I would say same in Philly. The odd thing I'll point out in having worked with coworkers who are primarily all suburban outside of Philadelphia residents, 
having old grandparents who live in the suburbs having parents and they're like are you scared are you in danger like are you gonna get like murdered like what's gonna happen it like looks so scary on the news and the answer is like i think henry you can back this up it's like there was never a time where i felt unsafe the entire time except for when uh like vigilante people started standing on roofs with guns like hiding behind chimneys in philadelphia and i was like what was going on that's what scared me more is like when there's people who are like walking armed who have who knows what levels of training and who knows what levels of motivation to do what that it to me was scarier than anything else mm -hmm. but i never felt like my life like, yeah yeah I, I, in a weird I, way i i didn't see pe people with guns you were in center city at that time i did see um outside my window the the first uh that first sunday night that things were happening well it started on a saturday night but then that sunday night i watched the rite aid outside my window just get um get completely looted and people were running in with baseball bats, smashing stuff. And there's the uh, convenience store gas station, um, you know, right across the street from that people were bashing the ATM machine until like four in the morning. I was, I was watching it, but I was never scared for my life. My fear was more, what is, what does this mean for the future of Philadelphia for other cities? Will the, um, will, will people ab abandon philadelphia like the kind of the new urbanites um the creative the richard florida creative class will they just take you know to uh, take their uh kids and put them in schools in the suburbs and drive further out to the burbs or whatever and you know what does that mean philadelphia had seen an increase in population for the first time uh for the first decade from 2000 to 2010 um after years of decline like is that is that gonna is are we gonna lose lose people again uh but anecdotally but, i can't say that happened in philadelphia i would love to know people no, it, from it, new but, york's opinion on people leaving no but that was my initial fear like oh my like are people gonna get scared away i was never afraid for my life i was afraid for like the future of my city are people gonna leave philadelphia because they they feel unsafe and um then kind of like what i said uh at the beginning of this this month the opposite kind of happened where Philly opened, there were outdoor restaurants everywhere. Uh, the war on cars picked up and we just put uh, cafes and in, in beer gardens and parking lanes. And it was kind of a, a great, we shut down MLK drive and made it, made it bike and pedestrian only a big Alameda. Uh, the residential market uh, <laughs> or like housing market stayed level and actually even went up. Like there was more demand for houses than there were before. In yeah. Philadelphia. Yeah. And it showed that a, a lot of what Philadelphia had like that New York been doing um, in, you know, in building kind of in more you know, sustainable communities actually proved the definition of the word. It was sustainable, like, um, and that we kind of uh, just made us stronger. The whole, the whole experience made us stronger. What are you, what are we, what are we showing? Uh, Jean is sharing the screen. We should replace all cars with bats. You can fit 150,000 bats in the same place that you can fit 33 cars with 50 passengers. That logic that? holds up. Or, or you could yeah. put, you know, it looks like a, you know, a fraction of the number of bats, perhaps uh, five, well, no, maybe more than that, about 10,000 bats in the space of one bus. You know, we know that a bus fits about 50 people. 
10,000 bats. What bus are you riding that on? A school bus can fit 81 people. You know, this just is, just goes back to say, if bats are taking back over the streets, you know, nature is healing. It's what I've <laughs> wanted to talk about for the past three months we've been on this podcast. You kept posting that it's, in the it's, chat. It's that nature was healing was such a phenomenon. I don't know if it is healing, but what a just, what, it was like watching David Attenborough narrate your Instagram feed. It could be a picture of Venice and you could see the bottom of the canals with the fish swimming in them. You know, it could be that there was literally dolphins are going up rivers up the, in the Chesapeake, all sorts of stuff. Uh, I looked a flagpole and didn't get sick. uh, Okay. Not all nature. (laughs) I thought when you said nature is healing, I thought you meant that people in cities were like leaving to go to nature because they're feeling stressed out about being in quarantine. But you're actually saying that nature itself was was healing itself from the decreased human activity. It was a meme, Henry. Uh, It was a meme, but it was also something real. You know, I'm sitting out there and to combine both those thoughts, I went and I worked every single day for the entire summer in my parents' patio in Alabama. And I'd send all my New Yorker friends little Snapchats. Bumblebees. The, there is so much nature. I would send Lars snaps of bumblebees. My friend, uh, Mr. Blasarita, I'd send him pictures of my geckos that I kept around. I even took a picture of a vole getting in a fight with a salamander. And those are two animals I didn't even know lived in Alabama. I, it was honestly, it was this kind of like weird kind of being in tune with with nature around me because I was working outside 24 seven, which I'd never done. No office worker could ever do. And then you're seeing all of this and online as well. And it's like, wow, you know, maybe all these city slickers are getting a little taste of uh, the city's episode of planet earth, you know, episode six of season one. Um, <laughs> uh, that, yeah. That one, that one. I, I thought it was fascinating. I just want to talk about it. <laughs> But that's it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, that's a good point. I mean, like, if we're talking about climate change, like, all of the indicators of a healthy planet increased during the mm-hmm. shutdown and have steadily, sadly, kind of decreased as Decrease things have sense. opened. And, exactly. um, and we're trying to force back society uh to to function as it did prior to to the pandemic um but yeah let's 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 make our way through the months so that was all may a little bit of june that was that was uh may that was into june with um the cities reopening outdoor seating becoming a thing uh protests continuing uh so we're halfway through the year at this point into july uh now sports return uh the mlb came back um the blue jays played in buffalo new york i think canada didn't let anyone in but the mlb went with a model where where teams would be in their own cities and they would fly from cities to city and then the nba went with a model where everyone would be in a bubble in disney world Uh, but we had sports back which was a nice nice distraction um for for a little while um what do you guys remember about that time 
Well, I just remember that the Miami Marlins almost single-handedly caused the fourth wave of this disease. They were in Philly. It was crazy. I was here for that. They were staying at the Rittenhouse Hotel, and they got shipped back on coach buses. I was out at the farmer's market buying my first plant of many. And there were 10 coach buses parked in front of this hotel, and you could see the silhouettes of, like, four people on each bus. Like there were four like people in the seats in each bus and they shipped them from there, drove them all the way back to Florida. We should also say that this was at the height of the second wave at this point. So well, the first wave had been had gone been flattened pretty well. And and then or you know, it'd been moderately, um, but it started to and make its way to the rest West of the country. Season. At least in New York, the wave had been flattened. And then um the sports leagues made decisions. Okay. We're going to reopen now that the wave has been flat, see if we can get some games in during the summer before the fall wave. But, you know, after the, there was, uh, after the reopenings, um, cases went up, especially uh, in Florida. I remember around that time. And a lot of, this is when kind of mask became a politicized thing. And Fauci was kind of taking the backseat a little more. The economy wasn't up and running by Easter, uh, let alone Memorial Day, let alone Father's Day, let alone July 1st. Um, so you this was talk kind of the, the second economy, wave though? now. Um, this was the second wave, and now the Marlins had, had the outbreak. Yeah, Lars, talk about the economy. You're good. I don't want to. Do. <laughs> I would just say that there's a difference between Main Street and uh, non-Main Street, and I think that we're not doing enough to support Main Street. Whereas if you work for Tesla or own all of Tesla's stock, it's been a pretty good year. In other words, corporations versus small businesses. S&P 500 versus everyone else. Right. Yeah. I mean, just the, the, what's like so absurd is, is, is that divide that, that we're speaking to like how it's totally fine that our first stimulus bill, so many of those loans went to already rich people, like exceedingly rich people who could pay staff out of pocket to keep their businesses running. If they, if they had the kindness of, to do so, the generosity. And, you know, I can't tell you how many local restaurants like up and down my street are, are gone, like probably gone and never to return. I'm like still going back to our favorite bar, Black Crescent here in the Lower East Side and like trying to make sure that they stay like that, that we give them some sort of business. Um, and, and then even now, it, you know, I know I'm jumping ahead, but the holiday season with everything being uh, for the most part, Amazon purchases for a majority of people or everything by mail. Um, yeah, I think, I don't know. I, I feel like June, no, no, sorry. July, like with sports, it was like good distraction, but it's not like, it was kind of like a false hope because nothing was really better. It's just that like, you know, those, the sports industry found a way to keep functioning. Um, but that's really it. I think the bubble works so much better than the traveling to get back to your original question. I think Thousand the NBA percent. crushed it in terms of, managing it all zero COVID cases yeah and the the mlb was like like little fires everywhere they were constantly trying to put out so i think that they they have a method for it now and even if you look at the nfl they are not doing well either uh so if you it shows the only way to do it's bubble 
bubbleization. Mm-hmm. Also, college football. I know we're jumping a little ahead, but like the fact that college students' health is being put at risk um, for something they already don't really benefit from, unless they're really good and get to the NFL um, or you know some professional league, is is really wild when like a couple schools have only played five games of their 12 game season because of COVID. It's wild. Um, to close out July, a couple of notable RIPs, Regis Philbin, who wants to be a millionaire, Regis and Kathy Lee, Regis and Kelly. Uh, Fix, you got to turn your mute off so you can react properly. You can leave well, your I mute off. I want to shout. The whole I, it, time. I was just shocked. I had forgotten that. Yeah. Yeah. Regis. Oh. John Lewis passed away. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. many people died this year. A lot of people. Um, uh, is it, I mean, I, I don't even want to, we, we all, we all know it's a lot of people have died this year. August, 2020 uh, had the California wildfires um it was the height of the the most active hurricane season um in uh in, in the atlantic um let's read a couple facts about uh the california wildfires um there's been a total 2020 california wildfires according to wikipedia there's been a total of 9639 fires um it's covered over four million acres the cost is over two billion dollars ten ten thousand buildings destroyed uh 33 deaths not a lot of deaths but a lot of buildings have been destroyed a lot of property damage um air quality yeah can I, Sean, who's the, who's the power company out there that was held responsible with like the, the billion dollar settlement? I don't fucking know. Oh, but, Pacific Gas and Electric, pg and Yeah, PGA. Yes, pg and pg and yeah. Okay, cool, cool. I, I basically, it's um, increasingly a lot of these big disruptive things are coming from power companies, which is kind of sad, but it comes from line maintenance, which is like these residential lines and the high tension power lines that are all that. And it comes down to tree pruning. And if you prune every other year, every five years, you're taking that rate and you're making more money off it. So uh, there's an incentive not to do proper maintenance on these things. Um, and it's, it's kind of scary. I don't know what that is. Is like a, I think it's an ask for more regulation, but. Isn't that a thing, Lars, where the um, like the regulatory compact of these utilities is that any capital expenditures they do they get a rate of re- a guaranteed rate of return on? Yeah. So even and if they have to rebuild something, that's capital expenditures. Uh, yeah, but um, so like if they're guaranteed, say, a 10% return, and then they choose to switch uh, their tree cutting from three years to every six years, they've cut the amount that they've spent on tree trimmings. And that's now they're earning 11% return, you know, so. But is it, that is that maintenance and is that operation and maintenance spending versus capital spending? How they classify that? 
So uh, capital spent, it, that would be O&M, operations and maintenance. But um, if you cut that, your overall profit goes up. We don't need to get into the details of this. Okay. I want to talk about other things. Fixes eating his hat. <laughs> okay. Well, the wildfires were, were a John. big part of, of 2020. Uh, it was, uh, yes. 2020 was the, the largest wildfire season record in California's modern history. Which is um, crazy. And yeah. I think John can speak to this, but wildfires, especially in really steep slope areas is a difference between it being in relatively flat, but in areas where you have hills and steep inclines that leads to tons of washouts and mudslides and even more disruption in the years following it. Yeah, I um, when I was in ninth grade, I was evacuated due to a wildfire, uh, and it was like five a.m., six a.m., and opened the front door. And I want to say, it's it, so like where I grew up, there's like a, the mountain range. Um, it's kind of in the distance. It's like not like I'm very close to it. Like I could go and, but it's like I'm not right at the foothills. You're but damn oh my close God, to it compared to where I live next to mountains. Right, you are close. right. And it looked like I was in hell. Like it was terrifying, and it it it, it was it was so scary. And it was all hilled. Um, and to think that every year since they've gotten worse is like truly mind-boggling. Um, I remember talking to a, a client that was based out of San Francisco, and just on the call there they were just talking about how outside their window, it, it looks like hell on earth, just scorched hell on earth. And it was like that for months. It's like living in hell for, for months. It was, uh, it's un unimaginable here on the East coast, but it's, it's freaking, it's, it's out of control. And it was ha in, in uh, not just Northern California, weren't there, there were wildfires outside of LA too, right? Up and down the coast, Oregon, Washington. Well, maybe Washington. Yeah, no, the Pacific Northwest. It, it like that's the thing. It was California usually. It's like California usually. This past August, it was like the Pacific Northwest, like entirely. Like I have two colleagues in San Francisco, or like out just outside of San Francisco, kind of in between the Silicon Valley and in San Fran in downtown, um, and like some in Portland. And photos. Oh, I wish I had the photos to share, but like it was red. Like it was just red and like, that's different. Like my experience, it was, I saw the fire burning. That's like, they're far away from it and their sky is blotted out. You know, and the, the satellite images of it is also like terrifying to look at. It's just like a huge cloud. It's like volcanoes going off up and down. Um, <laughs> God, it's, it's really terrifying. Insane. Uh, meanwhile, we also had the most active hurricane season uh, for the uh, most most active Atlantic hurricane season on record with a, with 30 total storms. That's that's a record. Uh, it was the seventh most costliest uh, storm. It had the, a record 30, 31 total depressions. The largest storm was Iota, um, which was a category five. There were several storms that that hit the uh, the Gulf Coast uh, in October. Um, Delta, Zeta, Ada. So wildfires, hurricanes. Um, you know this is climate change therapy. So so all that happened. Uh, the most active hurricane season, and we had the uh, 
the 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 record a record wildfire season um so so that that happened i would love to get the gulf coast boys opinion on hurricanes but i will say that despite being the most active in terms of damage it didn't feel as bad as years past where things have directly hit either houston or miami and i think that we really lucked out this year in regards to what could have been despite the activity. Right. The most damaging hurricane was, was Laura. Um, hurricane Laura happened in, uh, if I bring it up, that was in August. Back in August. Yeah, it was in August. Hit New England and New York City. Yeah. Never mind. Ignore me. <laughs> yeah. And there was a big one that hit uh, Bogota actually and uh nicaragua um, one hit nicaragua and that was yeah that was iota that was the category five yeah. in last month um so just uh galveston in 1900 also major um all right so we're, we're talking 2020 here the other, other things that happened in august um was was the nba uh was sh- shut down again for a couple days where uh, after the uh the, the shooting of jacob blake uh protests in kenosha wisconsin um so the nba led by uh, the milwaukee bucks milwaukee bucks uh they stepped out and um they uh, they had a, held a team uh, a league-wide players meeting they got barack obama on the phone uh to talk about what to do they um they had their owners. Uh, they made sure that the stadiums would be voter registration hubs, and they did a lot of. Um, they just they they put a lot more money into um, social justice uh, initiatives, get out the vote initiatives, uh, and then they proceeded with the season. and And LeBron James won his won his fourth championship. I will say the impact of especially in like states like Georgia of opening and driving pushing voter turnout, I think will be, it'll be one of the lasting good things that a professional sports league did, I think for, in terms of like democratic participation, you know, depending if you're a Trumper or, or, a you know, a, a, an American, um, <laughs> you know, different views, but um, it was really impressive how, and also too, like, I think it was a, an example of just how much power, um, athletes especially black athletes have in um and what they can do yeah and it was the cities that that won it for biden and that's a, a lot of the areas of the country you mentioned atlanta where the vote's been been suppressed and uh even in a pandemic it's it's harder and harder to uh what do you <laughs> it's harder and harder to um to you know to get people to vote uh and we actually we had a record turnout this year a rec- even in a pandemic, a record number of people voted. Um, you know, Trump will remind you every day that he, he set a record for most votes for a sitting president. Uh, still, still wasn't the, the record for, for a candidate. <laughs> even though it's uh, that was so Biden. much less. <laughs> so five million, six, whatever, five million votes less than Joe Biden. Um, but yeah, I mean, voting registration. I, August was when I started to receive mail about you know apply now for your mail-in ballot. Yeah. Pseudonym. 
It, when did you move back uh, to New York? Was this, was it August? Uh, yeah, I actually got called back in, um, in September. They started calling us back in the office, which was short-lived because then they immediately told us we weren't allowed to go back into the office. So um, I, I came back in Labor Day, but well, I got a taste of the hurricanes down south first. And Were you surprised at how what new york what was what was your impression in new york when you returned and were you surprised um it was much more bustling than i thought it would be much much more activity going on um that being said birmingham was about the same as if it wasn't a pandemic at all um (laughs) but just from what i had left new york like in march and then what i saw in april and all that um it was, it was bustling, which was really encouraging. And it, it, it made it fun. Um, the people that, are moving out, you don't want them anyway, right? Yeah. Yeah. We don't want them. Um, there's a very different attitude towards Next. the pandemic up here that I think they inherited from their experience in March and April, um, which I really appreciate. You know, I, yeah, you could walk around on the street and you see 95% of people having a mask on, which is, it doesn't happen elsewhere in the country, um, which is interesting, you know? Mm-hmm. All right. Now we're getting to the stretch run. Um, August, a couple of our uh, RIPs is the, the great Arizona basketball coach, Lute Olson, um, John Thompson, the great Georgetown coach, uh, Chadwick Bozeman, actor died way, way, way too young. Uh, that was in August. That was August. And uh, Did you guys the- see that movie yet? Yeah. Yeah. Fucking amazing. Yeah. It's oh, so it, sad. It is. Yeah. On and, Netflix. And, yeah, on Netflix. And Viola Davis is amazing as well. I mean, the whole cast is is good. It's a it's an adapted play. Uh so just keep that in mind. Okay. Hmm. Um w- one more RIP I want to mention. Uh, I think a lot, I don't know how many people are familiar with his name, but I want to give a shout out came up in my research the glaciologist conrad stefan he was a leading researcher of the effects of climate change on the arctic uh including the greenland ice sheet um so he kind of you know was a guy who uh really uh, showed how greenland uh was melting uh has been melting over the past 40 years and uh, how it's it's been already a, a significant contributor to sea level rise so a big a big uh, climate change uh, scientist um, made, made a big contribution. Conrad Steffen, uh, we we lost him uh, th- th- this year as well. And I didn't want to, uh, I didn't want to overlook that. Um, September twenty twenty, um, we mentioned the, this is the NFL returned, uh, uh, the college sports returned, so more sports. At first, the Big Ten was saying they wouldn't return, and then then they were going to return and can we go back to conrad sorry and how he died by the way the floor is yours uh he fell into a crevice that was formed by the warming that he had warned everyone about okay say more about this Uh, and then caught covid and then caught covid no it just it ironically in like the worst possible way what he was researching and studying and arguing literally killed by climate change. (laughs) Okay. Continue on. 
I mean, I, I, I wish that I was, was smarter and then I could uh, give him a more appropriate uh, eulogy, but Conrad Stefan, that that's his name. He's a, a, a great man did a lot for, for science, for the world. And I will be uh, looking into him a bit more uh, in the weeks ahead. I'll do my homework. We'll, we'll, we'll do a, a, a full Conrad Stefan segment on a future episode of climate change therapy. That's a promise. Uh, September, 2020 football is back. Yeah. Go football. Uh, the jets are still bad. Uh, Clemson's still good. Alabama's still good. Mac Jones is two, a 2.0. Najee Harris is Damian Harris. 2.0. Eagles are going to win. Uh, all right. All right. Just let's just, I don't want to spend too much time on, on football here, but just very quickly, uh, who's your pick for the national championship for college? Uh, let's start with you pseudonym. Well, you got to say Alabama. I mean, right. it's the only choice here, but is it fair? Is it fair to have teams pulled in to the college football playoff when they only played six games, five games, like Ohio state. Well, I'm not going to point right out here. names. I, I'm not going to. This Davo. is a hypothetical. <laughs> but, you know, I I think Sean said earlier, how is it fair that we're forcing these kids to play football in the first place? And the decisions about who gets to play games is made by their coaches and their athletic directors and their boosters. Um, but since they're playing, I might as well talk about it. And, <laughs> you know, it. Some things rubbed me the wrong way this season. Clemson said a couple comments about Florida State uh, when Florida State canceled their game um, for COVID concerns. I thought that was incredibly inappropriate. Um, but on the same side, I think Ohio State doesn't deserve to be there because they didn't play any dang games because of COVID. So, you know, call me a hypocrite. Who do you think would win, Alabama or the Jets? Um, well, half of Alabama's team is on the Jets. You've got Quinn and Williams. You've got couple other guys um and they might sabotage again i've mentioned manchurian candidate kind of stuff going on don't they have a different size football isn't college football (laughs) a different size than professional mike if you think i made it past peewee you are gravely mistaken it's about 12 i'm gonna put my money on i'll put the jets because they just beat the rams but okay all right, so let's talk about the walk 2.0. This was the last time we all saw each other in person. You're look, you're sh- you're shaking your head. So uh, this was September 2020. All of us. I, I came yes. to New York. Yes. I came to New York, uh, and we all uh, we all met up. Weren't we mm-hmm. all there? Yes, we were. Except for that shady Robbie fellow. um yeah what a voyage i see i didn't get to the voyage i was was incapacitated in my ankle we we met you afterwards so you got to the the tail end but no i didn't hear that i want to hear more about uh the neighborhoods you went through so we did we did a uh um a four-hour walk about we started at the brooklyn bridge mike started or lars started at the williamsburg bridge took the wrong bridge because uh, classic mix up, L- Lars. When you accidentally took the Williamsburg Bridge instead of the the Brooklyn Bridge, 
Um, were you following Robert Ball's GPS or your GPS? My internal GPS. Okay. Lars is from New Hampshire, everybody. All right. Go <laughs> shut up. I took us to a Brooklyn waterfront. They don't, they don't have bridges in New Hampshire. Uh, yeah, we, we, we got to Pier 1, so we walked Pier 1, uh, Pier 2, down through Pier 6. Um, uh, one of my, my favorite moments uh, on the walk is we're going through all the piers. How, I, don't, you, I know, Lars, you're familiar cause, cause, uh, with the piers because you went there, but there's these like floating docks, these like five-acre kind of areas in the middle of the East River. I, I run there yesterday, and I had to reflect. I said, this is a exceptionally planned park. It's fantastic. And one of the better ones out there. And every it pier is different. Every pier is different. Some have basketball courts and mini soccer pitches. Some have like tr- some have trees basically. and you can literally feel like you are removed from the city. You could be, I went out and I stood in the middle of this kind of glade on a pier surrounded by snow and trees. And I couldn't see anybody. I looked around and I couldn't see a soul in New York city. Did they beautiful. plow the snow on your running path? Um, on the, the running path, they do. Which, by the way, that park has an excellent operational model because HRNA Advisors did a little plan a couple of years ago that basically is kind of, it's a model for how to use um, leases for stuff that you have on site and other stuff like that. And also uh, larger kind of assessment districts and stuff like that to keep operational funding. So that's why they're able to maintain that park a lot better than a lot of other city parks in New York. It's, it's run by the Brooklyn, uh, the fringe of the Brooklyn bridge park, I think is what it's named. Um, Where do they get fund the funding from? Can you say that again? Uh, I think they have a couple of different mechanisms. They lease out like a space to like a merry-go-round. They lease out a couple of different shops that are sited on the, the park and they get their revenue from that. And also, I think the land also, they, they created, right? It was just that was the the river, and they just it was all piers. Yeah, it was all just piers, and they yeah. or a lot of it's now like floating land. Yeah, mm. that they just created out of nothing, so they didn't really have to buy they the land buy. as much yeah, as exactly. they had to create it. So that's that's brilliant. But I remember, so I I posed this question. We did this walk was there was about nine other mostly planners and, and architects, uh, uh, grad school fr- uh, friends on this walk. And I asked, uh, I asked one of, one of my buddies, uh, uh, Noah, shout out to Noah. I said, so, so if you had to, um, if you got a blank slate five acre pier and you could build anything on it, what would you build? Uh, you know, Arboretum, would you build a, a beer garden? Would you have like little shops? Would you do, uh, you know, um, you could have basketball courts and mini pitches like the other piers, merry-go-round you mentioned, you could build anything on these piers. What would you build? And he goes, affordable housing. Oh, <laughs> such a, such a planner answer. Uh, so, so that was beautiful. Uh, we walked down those piers, walked through park slope down into sunset park. Um, have you guys ever been to sunset park? I, I went last yes. week and that's where, that's where tall asshole George moved. It's a really cool area, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Beautiful views of the city. I'd, I'd never Brooklyn been. Army Terminal at all or Industry City? I'd never been there either. I lived in hey, Brooklyn. I'm going to take you to this little. I would this love to tour. I went to a day party at Industry City. Did you go to the Very Japanese cool. village, Sean? Or John? Jean? Mm-hmm. Jean? They have a, they've got a, essentially what is a food court with 
these really nice gourmet Japanese restaurants and, you know, everyone in my office at the MTA talked about that place. It's, it's a, it is a treat. Mm -hmm. Um, Meanwhile, uh, on my other screen, Adam Silver is presenting the Lakers with their championship trophies right now. Uh, And the Nets just beat the Warriors by by 30 points, uh, 26 points. Uneducated basketball question. Are they bubbling again? No, no, they're no. doing the MLB model. So the Sixers are, are in yeah. town, Lars. But just no, after we no. discussed how that model didn't work, I might add. They obviously yeah, don't. Yeah, I'm, I'm skeptical. Therapy. I, I feel like I'm skeptical. for the playoffs, they might be going to some bubble. Well, the, it depends. Uh, one of my friends just got vaccinated today. I will say that. Uh, one of, he's a, a doctor. Um, but so the walk, then we went up to prospect park when we all met and that was the last time we we're all in person. And I have to say that was one of my, my favorite me- uh, memories from, from between March and today between the two round tables, it was phenomenal to see, seeing you guys, uh, it really meant a lot. Um, so love and miss you guys. Likewise, we'll be back. Hank. Yeah. There will be a walk 3.0 and there will be, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see each other before, before then for sure. Hopefully you wanted to do a tour of all of Philadelphia's alleys, right? Yeah. Yeah. Lars and I are, are planning a walk 3.0 in Philadelphia where we just go through all the side streets. Every one of them. <laughs> yeah. That's actually a really great idea. <laughs> Thank you. Um, Some of them are pretty awful. Moravian, they're replacing the drain pipe mm-hmm. under like a total sore replacement. It's a Finally. The entire street for like the entire all from broad to river time to buy trash alley prices have never been lower um a couple of uh, notable rips in september is the greatest met ever tom siever uh rest in peace um the great lou brock uh, one of great baseball players and of course rbg ruth bader ginsburg um speaks for itself um October, the Lakers won the NBA championship. As I see on TNT right now, Jeannie Buss is speaking. Adam Silver's there. They're being presented the awards. Uh, that's what's their record. Was it their record's 17th championship, 16th NBA championship? Uh, 17th tying the Celtics for most in NBA history. So, Sean, as a Laker fan, um, you've seen how, how many NBA, how many championships have you won in, in your life and, and where did uh, the bubble championship uh, stack up? I think <clears throat> this one was like part anticlimactic, but also really impressive because they were sequestered from like their, from Loki kind of from society, you know, like they're literally in a bubble, their whole, it's like, it's like going to, for, to a work camp. Even if, even if that work is basketball, like even if I was, I mean, like a musician, like, I don't know, being stuck somewhere and that's all I could do. No family, no, or like family only if I survive long enough in this bubble and like this competition um, is, sounds really difficult. Um, I think the product, like the actual play uh, ended up being really great and like just as good as it would have been in front of fans. Um, or better because they weren't traveling. Right, right. Or better because they were able to kind of rest their bodies like immediately. Um, no jet lag or anything, no ex- excessive traveling to and from practice, play, practice arenas, etc. cetera. Um, so I think 
you know, it was funny enough. My dad who taught me my love of basketball was like, that's not, that's not real basketball. Like, he's like, I can't watch that. Like, cause there are no fans. And I was like, okay, okay. Old man, like whatever. Um, but I thought that the finals, like, some of these matchups were surprising. So many game sevens, Donovan Mitchell um, and Jamal Murray, uh, they're, they're back-to-backs. The Bucks being knocked out in the second round, like, you know, two-time MVP, you know, Giannis Antetokounmpo just kind of capitulating under the pressure. Um, or the, the team as a whole, you know, but um, LeBron rose to the occasion. Um, his, you know, a full year healthy, um, and was the finals MVP. I think the, the heat were also surprising, knocking out the Celtics and the Bucks um, and the Pacers. Like they, they really railroaded through the East. Um, I mean, I have to say it was great. It was great to watch. It was a great distraction, but also like uh, what I think will probably make it the most memorable is that like in a year when arguably the greatest Laker of all time, Kobe Bryant and his daughter, who was going to be, you know, the Mambasita died um tragically and a bunch of other young uh athletes uh and 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 parents that the lakers were able to win and that and that the league itself started to really stand on its principles in in ways that it could as an as an organization but then also like the players themselves were like this is my platform i'm going to use it um i you know a lot of them are like black men um a lot of them really care about these these things about mental health like they were really open um so i think as a whole it really made the brand stronger like the nba brand stronger but also kind of their reputation uh stronger because they really did put health and safety above all and then also like uh social justice in the end It's remarkable how intertwined the NBA was with all that happened in culture in 2020. We started this, uh, this show talking about Kobe Bryant, his, his death. And, and currently we're watching the Lakers get their ceremony. Um, D-Day for the, for COVID was Rudy Gobert touching the mics and then getting pulled out. It was what the, when the NBA shut down, the country shut down and then uh, social justice, uh, it was it was the M- NBA like when when they you know shut down and then they got the voter registration all all those initiatives uh, it, it came out of that so they were uh, they were uh, intertwined with with uh, with COVID and social justice and you know here we are in December uh, with the second stimulus package maybe being passed maybe not now um, I mean kudos to everyone in NBA leadership but I think it's like a textbook how to deal with a crisis is exactly what they did better than every other sport and a lot oh, of yeah. other organizations in the United States. They realized it was a problem. They adapted to it and they set out to be the leader in that adaption. You see half-hearted adaptions with every other pro sports team. Like the NFL isn't winning. The MLB didn't do a great job, but they went all in and arguably had a fantastic season for the situation. I mean, and that's also like a great point, Lars, is like the going in completely. It's like, okay, we're in a global pandemic. Let's not, let's not pretend like it's going to get better tomorrow. Let's just deal with it head on and take all the precautions and like put all the safeguards that we could um, to make sure 
that um, we can do this safely, you know? Um, and I mean, even businesses, like it, some of our employers are like, oh, come in. Ah, don't come in. You can do this. You can't do that. Uh, you know, it's like <laughs> literally, literally pseudonym was pulled from another state to come back into the office only to be sent back home the next <laughs> week. Like just uh-huh. case in point, um, they really did set the example in so many ways. Yeah. Yeah. Kudos to, to Adam Silver. He's the real, the real president. Um, President Adam Silver. <laughs> um, what else happened in October 2020? Oh, David Attenborough came out with a new documentary, A Life on Our Planet, was released on Netflix. You guys all see that, I hope. It made Prince George cry. Really? Well, did it make that you cry? Deal. Did it make you cry? A little bit. I haven't seen Lars not cry at the fate of our world ever during a David Attenborough documentary. It was very good. It was very good. I watched it one and a half times. A couple notable deaths. uh, Billy Joe Shaver, great country uh, musician. Sean Connery. Come on. Uh, I just rewatched the first Bond movie, Dr. No, the other night. Still holds up. Still holds up. Uh, Joe Morgan, great red second baseman. Uh, Whitey Ford, uh, the last, uh, the last, I would say, celebrity named Whitey. Uh, Eddie Van Halen, uh, a great, great guitarist, uh, um, Bob Gibson, a great pitcher for the, the Cardinals Cardinals, those teams, they lost Lou Brock and Bob Gibson this year. Uh, and Roberta McCain, uh, John McCain's, uh, mother. Um, so that's October. This takes us to November. Uh, nothing of note happened in November. Uh, just kidding. Uh, we had the 2020 election, <laughs> which was the craziest, craziest election of my lifetime. No question. Um, I, I, I took the whole week off from work uh, for the 2020 election. I know a lot of us are, are, are sick of hearing about the election because it's still going on uh, here on, on December 22nd. But, but just for the sake of the year in review, we have to we have to cover it. Um, I, I, I remember just, um, you know, they, they were talking about Ohio and Texas and Florida and Biden was taking the lead in those states. And, and then, uh, and they were saying, Oh, could Biden win Ohio and Texas? And then just, you know, just Trump just instantly killed those all of a sudden a wave of just, all right, Trump won those three States. And then he was up in Pennsylvania, like 56% to 40% or something like that. Uh, and he was up in Michigan, Wisconsin. Uh, he, he was up everywhere. And I went to sleep that night. And I, CNN, they did not really explain the fact that the mail-in boats would be predominantly Biden. They didn't, they didn't know it at that point. Or if they knew it, they didn't, they didn't know it for sure. So they didn't just commit to it as like an outright thing. They didn't seem to really know what was going on. So it had more of a, like a, it was really like the tortoise and the hare. Um, but it had like this kind of race, like a, like a, like a racetrack kind of char- character to it uh, where you, someone could take an early lead and then there would be a comeback. Whereas in previous elections, you kind of like saw the first results and then maybe when counties would come in, there would be different fluctuations, but you didn't have that, that um, 
dichotomy with with a, a large chunk of mail-in voting uh, just being really predominantly um, one party. Uh, so that went on for days and days and days. Uh, and then on, on Saturday, uh, the winner was finally announced here in Philadelphia, the city that swung it. Um, as Rudy Giuliani and Corin Lewandowski were at the Four Seasons Total Landscaping by the Tacconi Palmyra <laughs> Bridge uh, between the uh, porn shop and the crematorium, uh, spouting conspiracies, uh, all the major networks uh, reported the uh, projection uh, projected Biden to, to be the winner, and the city erupted in uh, in celebration, and cities nationwide erupted in celebration. Um, so. Gentlemen, we don't have to dwell on this too long uh, because we're all probably sick of talking about the election at this point. But just uh, any thoughts on the election? Let's just go go around the horn and I'll just kind of give you guys a chance to just react to it. Uh, Lars, I see you. Uh, you smile. And uh, what, what do you remember about the 2020 election? Two things. Uh, first thing is I wanted to point out that the New York Times published a really good article of like a blow by blow account of Al Schmidt, who's one of the um, the uh, commissioners for elections here in Philadelphia. He's a registered Republican. And they, it was December 16th, basically walks through his entire thing. And that it was a strategic decision for he was releasing all of the votes in batches. And typically they were numbering in like the fives and tens of thousands, if not fifties of thousands. And he heard that Rudy Giuliani was going to host said press conference, didn't know where it was going to be. And they rushed to release the batch um, before that uh, to try to counter it. And they got it out like 10 minutes before that press conference was supposed to start. And then CNN called the election at that point. Like he's trying to just make it definitive. It's a really good article. It like walks it through like all of the pressure he faced. He's like getting phone calls from like Pat Toomey. Like, do you trust me? Do I trust you? Like, is this really going to happen? Yes, it's really going to happen. You got to share that. I'd love to read that. Yeah, yeah put I'll, it in the chat and I'll, uh, I'll put it in the dis- description for this program. Sounds good. Uh, pseudonym. Your reaction to the 2020 election? Yeah. Guys, by um, the way, did you guys vote in mail or person? I voted in person. In yeah. person early. Person. In person early. On day out. Okay. All right. Sorry. I, you know, uh, pseudonym. To the 2020 you know, election. I, the floor is yours. Yeah. I was just going to say whoever was working the reception, the concierge, I guess, at the Four Seasons that day, truly, truly. I mean, that fell in their lap, a golden egg. And I don't know if you could write things like that. It's like the Arrested Development came to life. (laughs) It was just the perfect way to cap off the farcical kind of degradation of our country's democracy, right? (laughs) Um, I think this election was incredibly upsetting. Um, I think that I think that we are the results of the election mean that we're not going to actually do anything about the structural issues with our democracy, though the actual process of watching the election for a week after it occurred told everyone that something has to be done about the structure of our democracy. And so it's just kind of, you know, it was just a very upsetting thing. It was kind of honestly like being stuck in your parents' basement during quarantine, you feel frictionless, powerless, 
and just kind of at the whim of the gods. And it, it's not a comfortable feeling. I just echo that like a million percent. Um, I think most of you know that. So what, it was like right before Halloween, it was that Tuesday. Uh, that Monday, I found out a friend of mine had taken his own life and then the election happens and the whole time like i'm just like in a state of anxiety of like like dealing with that but also like watching it play out and just that feeling of powerlessness like you know you cast your vote and that's it right like that's all we can do and then we wait and then the the wheels turn and that it was i don't think I, we had ever watched news like that it was just like on 24 7 while i was at work i had it on my ipad uh, and I'm just like staring at it, like hoping for them to say something new and that it for just to be over. And so that constant state of, of, you know, like just being stuck, feeling powerless. And then the pure like relief as someone who just, you know, uh, on one hand, like uh, to pseudonyms point that like the structural issues won't be fixed. And we can see that with the cabinet that's being picked with the way that they're talking about policy and, and, um, just how fucking um it, excuse me listeners but uh i curse a lot uh like how fucking annoyingly centrist they want to be when literally 75 million people were okay with kids in cages uh rising uh number of hate crimes the proliferation of the use of the n-word uh degradation of of any sort of moral norms at every level of our society um, and then we have conspiracy theories being touted. Um, but I will say, I will always remember that, that weight lifting off my shoulder. And then like a, a coming to, of like emotions of walking through lower Manhattan with people just like hooping and hollering and beeping their horns and like, um, just like, uh, kind of just celebrating not celebrating biden but like very clearly celebrating that trump lost and that we could you know oh my like oh my god one day soon wash our hands of him and like at least undo the damage he did uh i don't i don't know that we uh, will um i, I think our, our country's kind of fucked um but that was uh, and then we ended up at washington square park where there's like kind of a uh, you know a bunch of people coming together and also to the point of like our country being fucked. I know I talk a lot seeing so many people at brunch while this was happening, while so many people were like screaming and like crying and, and like hugging and like, you know, all wearing masks, all like just trying to kind of be together in a space was also like a sign that like a, a, a portion of our country can afford to not care. And like, I hope to never become that disinvested in the state of like our society uh, and democracy. Um, and yeah, and then, then shed some tears with a little bit in that park. Yeah. Yeah. Philadelphia was, was, you know, it was a celebration. People were, I, I was, I know some older people, uh, my boss who I work with people were saying uh, this is what it must have been like um, you know after World War II had ended 
This is, it felt like it was like a V-Day. It was like as if we had just like won a war or were liberated. It was pretty, pretty amazing. You know, and it, it has baffled me how, how the Republicans just, okay, moral, moral questions aside, just like from a political standpoint, even why they continue to, to stand by Trump when yes, he has supporters, but so many people voted not, I think not for Biden, but anti-Trump. You know, like as 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 a uh, you know as diehard his support is, his opposition is is even more diehard. So the fact that so many Republicans are staking their party's future on on such a divisive figure like that, who has no chance of reaching anyone uh, on on the left, is is just it's questionable to me. I, I don't, I don't understand. I don't no, and that's a great point. That's a great point. Um, just looking at Senate races and house races is that a lot of them, a lot of races where I was like, Oh, a Democrat's going to win. Like in uh, former red States remained Republican or, or Republicans went into office. Like uh, I think uh, Democrats hold a majority still in the house, but some of those, but that majority is less than it used to be. And um, you know, Senate's a little close, but might not be. Um, yeah, that's it. Yeah, we uh, Democrats lost a majority of state houses across the country, like in domestic races. And that's something that Republicans have been really good at winning is the state races. I know here in New Hampshire that the executive council, which is different than every other state or something, went from Democrat to Republican and the state house went to Republican and they've just passed a bunch of laws like banning requirements, people wear masks and like allowing guns in the state house. Um, but in general, uh, I don't think the divide has ever been larger. And I was listening to Mike Pence's speech today at Turning Point USA while I was driving. And it's a big divide. And I don't think we're going to get anywhere if, um, like looking at like whatever the difference was 3 million votes. Like if it's basically 50, 50 and it's a pretty big argument. Are you eating blue bunny? That's the one with the listeria outbreak. But on the one hand, like a lot of States flipped, you know? So like we, we always think that some States will never change, you know, and the, the electoral college, it's, it's all fixed, but like you know, Democrats flipped Georgia, they no flipped state Arizona. Flipped. No state flipped. What you just saw is a lot of cities voting for one person and every other area in the state voting the other. I don't like, yeah, the vote total shows a flip, but like overall the sentiment in the state is still horribly antagonistic and in domestic politics, like within the state is still very, very partisan. It's, it's not like these flips were overwhelming and they were not by land area overwhelming and that's true that's a case true. in point georgia like literally yeah. a case in point georgia there's like a ruthless senate race senate special runoff happening even if it went blue a special kind of hell of two senate seats running at the same time like what yeah. the heck mm-hmm. anyway How did you have ice cream in your room sorry i just want to bump into that <laughs> Okay. Portable. It's super convenient because you keep the spoon inside the ice cream tub so that when you need to eat it, you already have a spoon. How do you not weigh 500 pounds? (laughs) Hey, second day of winter, you got to break out the tub ice cream. (laughs) 
Um, so that's November. All right. A couple uh, this is when the, the third COVID wave hit. Uh, we mentioned Hurricane Iota right. uh, hitting near, Nicaragua. This is the, the, the COVID wave around the holidays. Thanksgiving, college students are returning home. For the edges. Uh, RIP Diego Maradona. Uh, David Dinkins, New York City's first uh, African-American mayor. Uh, Tommy Heinsohn, voice of the Celtics. Alex Trebek, uh, voice of uh, Middle America. Jeopardy. Um, voice yeah. of Reason. What is? He like, never mentioned politics. How dare you say Middle America? I I don't know what like I, the truest anti-politician person in the world. Like you mean what is point what is Middle Middle America? I I I probably just use Middle America. Middle America is just a line in a John Cougar Mellencamp song. Yeah, I use Middle America just to say he just represented you know everybody. Everybody, everybody could everybody get everybody Yeah, yeah. I didn't mean Middle America in any political way. I meant middle America in the most bipartisan way possible. <laughs> the middle, all right? The middle. America, you know. We're all middle Americans at heart. Um, am I using the, the phrase incorrectly? What does middle America mean? Good God being Christians. Um, salt of the know, earth people. Salt of the Fly earth over country. Oh, I, I, hey, yeah. wait, wait, wait. Them's fighting the yo right man. There. He's the voice of uh, he's the voice of America. Let's just say he's the voice of America. I'm sorry for uh, misusing that expression. Did you guys watch that Padma Lakshmi show, Taste of America or Taste of a Nation? Excellent show. I just want to plug this real quick. That's it. That was the plug. Okay, December 2020. We're this is where we are right now. Uh, the NBA is back. The COVID vaccine is out. Uh, frontline workers are, are getting vaccinated, uh, members of Congress, uh, seniors. Members of risk. Congress who denied the severity of the, the virus are the first in line to get the vaccine. That's I want to point out just how utter chaos uh, Rand Paul is, is that he's on the side of like, why the heck are these people getting vaccines before you know, like essential workers, but also is on the side of let's vote down this thing because we're spending money. He's just chaos as a senator. I don't even understand. So I got punched. Anyway, according to Wikipedia, middle America just means the heartland. So it's not, I didn't mean it in any derogatory way. I meant it in the most endearing way possible. Alex Trebek, I said, rest in peace. He's a great guy. Okay. You know, he's Canadian. He's not even the voice of middle, middle America. He's like the voice of middle Canada. I, Canada is middle America. <laughs> okay, well, that's a hot take. It's 2020. <laughs> it's 2020, all right? We're good. We're, let's, let's, uh, I mean, when the fires burn down our borders and the sea level rises and erases national boundaries. Look, we all Canada watch will be middle America. We, you don't have to be positioned to succeed to watch Jeopardy. All right. I'll just say that. <laughs> um, so we got the vaccine. We got, we may or may not have the stimulus package. The NBA season is beginning. So uh, this is the second day of winter. It's December. Uh, it's my birthday last weekend. That was fun. Um, so yeah, uh, I'll just go around. Uh, any final thoughts on 2020 or uh, kind of, uh, your reasons for optimism as we as we go into the new year let's just we'll end on some hopeful notes 
Well, uh, you know, start us off. Moving forward, hindsight's always twenty twenty, at least. Hey, worst. See what you did there. That was a triple entendre. Okay. How about how about moving forward, twenty twenty one? Reasons for hope. Well, uh, like I mentioned about, you know, kind of uh, sadly George Floyd's murder and the ongoing protests being like a, a really big sign of change, like f- at least for me at work and professionally, it has given me a stronger platform to, to step on. Um, clients are needing more and more people who think about and are willing to talk about race in place and particularly as it relates to design and transportation. So that makes me happy that one, um, that is being valued more and people are willing to engage at the very least and at, at the, and then the more positive, like are actively asking for, uh, asking for someone like that and that I can be that, um, and I think I have a lot to look forward to professionally. I think personally, it'll be, oh my gosh, seven years that I'll have been in a relationship with my girlfriend. So we got to gotta lock her down. <laughs> um, and that, you know, hopefully we'll be in a better place to make the kind of change in the world that will make our place healthier and more equitable in so many ways um and that we get to see each other i'm hoping that we get these vaccines the people are healthier get resistance and that we can be together in person i'm hopeful i'm hopeful for that day still i'm incredibly pessimistic about the future of the world (laughs) stop it (laughs) I personally think, if anything, it's proven the essentialism of institutionalism. Uh, You have these intergovernment agencies like the World Health Organization, the UN, even institutions within the United States that have faced a lot of setback in perception, but are still absolutely essential to the function and to the spread of knowledge about how to deal with this crisis. And I am hopeful that that experience and need will be pushed forward more under uh, new leadership within the United States and that it can also be used to drive uh, important advances in dealing with other issues like climate change. Uh, Climate change. I'm hopeful we can go back to worrying about climate change in 2021 post-vaccine as i've said before on this show thank guys uh gentlemen thank you each and every one of you uh pseudonym fix uh the late robert ball he'll he'll be back uh lars michelson uh and jean landis landis jean john landis am i saying right john landis um (laughs) john landis Landis, you know you have the same name as the uh, director of animal house I <laughs> he is my he is my distant american cousin yeah it's good all right so the laker game is starting we all we all want to go to that so i don't want to keep anybody uh more uh we have the nba season to look forward to i'm hopeful that there will be no positive COVID tests uh before the nets win the championship um guys it was great having you on uh happy holidays and merry christmas belated hanukkah um 
see each other before long. Uh, and, uh, miss you guys. Miss you. Thanks, Hank. Thanks, Thanks for, for having, having us. us on. Love you guys. Happy New Year, everybody. Yeah, take care. And, and Hank, happy holidays. You got any suggestions for uh, suitcases I could buy my family for? Rolling suitcases. The most rocking suitcases on wheels.